Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. And ladies and gentlemen, it is Thursday, February 1st. Well, it's crazy. January has already come to an end. Went by went by pretty fast. Years off to a decent good start for me personally. Grinding out school, you know, working on where to live next year. I do have to work out an internship or job for the summer that that will be something that needs to be accomplished so yeah but that's that can be saved for another time because on today's episode we got a lot of fun stuff to do the big ending of the episode if you will the main theme um is ufc vegas 85 our preview our predictions for that card going down this saturday at the ufc apex of course the 85th event in the apex headlined by top 15 middleweights roman doladize and nazardine imavov and i've been seeing a lot of mma pages especially mma theory on instagram who have been saying that this is the type of apex cards we need to have not big names but young up-and-comers not tied to ivasa versus marcin tabira but roman doladize versus nazardine imavov off to um they, you know as much as they're not up and comers i mean roman doladize is in his 30s but he is not really in the title picture right now nazardine's 27 still rising the ranks so sort of guys like that where they're actually kind of newer and they're fighting to move up into the top 10 and potentially the top five so i really like that idea so if, um but anyways we'll be talking about ufc vegas 85 we're also gonna be talking about the 48 laws of power i have four more laws to go over i'm averaging about a chapter a day i'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I read two the other day, but um, I was very ambitious. I was telling myself I was going to read three chapters every day. That uh, hasn't gone as planned, but hey, as long as I'm reading every day at least, that's a that's a good thing. We're going to check out the NFL Pro Bowl, go over some new UFC news. There's a lot of chaotic stuff today. Uh, check them at the NBA and NHL, and we're actually going to uh, look at um, the 2021 uh, UFC year in review. It's always exciting. Uh, it's been a little series we've been doing. We've done 2019, 2020, and now we're on to 2021. And, of course, other surprises along the way. So, without a doubt, let's get right on into it with some new UFC news. I mean, who doesn't love New UFC news, of course, that's the whole theme of the Surprise Jab podcast. Kind of, kind of. It's Maybe, maybe it's the theme, maybe it isn't the theme. Uh, just talking is honestly the main theme. Anyways, so in um, the, we're talking about the big one that went down today, and that was Dustin Poirier putting out there on the social medias that his fight versus Benoit Saint-Denis for UFC Vegas, or not UFC Vegas, UFC 299 in March is, was not going down. He wasn't fighting Benoit Saint-Denis. The contract was never signed. MMA pages were breaking, saying that the fight was never signed in general. Um, Dana White was going after journalists and stuff, all pages on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. They were all throwing stuff out there. And then later in the day, I'm talking a couple hours later, he actually tweeted out, my bad guys, some confusion with my manager. I will be fighting Benoit Saint-Denis in the co-main event five-round fight at UFC 299. Everyone's kind of like, oh my goodness, thank goodness this fight is actually going down. Uh, I have no idea what the whole issue was, but I, I'm just glad it was fixed because I'm happy to see both these guys fighting. And I'm not going to say Dustin Poirier's been docking people. I don't really like to use that term that Dustin Poirier has been ducking anyone because, you know, he, he does fight people. But, you know, I will say if I can if I can actually pull up his last few fights, I mean, it's it just feels like it's been a while since he fought a young up and comer. I mean, uh, there's one fight in 2023, Justin Gaethje. All right. One fight in 2022, Michael Chandler. 
you know, the Conor McGregor fights, you know, the Charles Oliveira fights, you know, I'd say it's been since 2020 when he fought Dan Hooker that it was an actual up-and-comer. But, I mean, at the same time, the last unnotable person Dustin Poirier fought was, you could say, Joe Duffy in 2016. Since then, it's been Jim Miller, Michael Johnson, Eddie Alvarez, uh, Anthony Pettis, Max Holloway, Habib. I mean, there's so many people. So he's been at the top for a while. And as for Benoit Saint-Denis, I mean, after debuting in August of 2021 at 170 pounds, not even his natural weight class, he would lose that fight to Elizio Zaleski dos Santos, but prove his heart. Since then, five straight fights, five straight finishes. Dude's been on absolute roll. He's had fight of the nights, performance bonuses, and he's coming off a nasty round one knockout, head kick knockout of Matt Frivola back in November. So I'm super pumped to see that fight go down. I'm glad that the contract was able to be worked out. Also in the news is that Dana White was saying that Jim Miller has made millions in the UFC and never would have in boxing. It's the age-old question. Uh, you always see boxers like Francis Ngannou, Tyson Fury, uh, Alexander Usyk. So many of these guys who say that they've made Actually, they not say they have made millions, millions of dollars boxing in these fights. But a majority of the boxers, Dana White says, do not make that much money. And Dana White says that Jim Miller has been great in the UFC. And honestly, I agree Jim Miller is a legend of the UFC. And there's actually a debate on if he should be in the Hall of Fame. I say yes. I'm very generous with the Hall of Fame inductees. But someone like Daniel Cormier says, no, you have to win a championship or hold like some record. Um, but DC, I respectfully disagree with you. Some new fights that have been announced for uh, UFC Vegas 90 on April 6th, headlined by Marvin Vittori and Brendan Allen. We'll have a lightweight bout between Trevor Peak and Charlie Campbell. Trevor Peak, Charlie Campbell, both super, actually super, very entertaining fighters. I mean, Trevor Peak has just come to the UFC and he's coming off a big win over Muhammad Yaya. He's knocked out Kama Worthy, Eric Gonzalez. This guy is 9 and 1. He's an absolute joy to watch. His only loss is to Chepe Mariscal, who is an absolute killer. Master Charlie Camp Campbell, after getting knocked out on Dana White's Contender Series, he came out at UFC. Uh, what was it? UFC Noche, it might have been, or some other some other event, and he put on a show, knocking out Alex Reyes. Actually, it was at UFC Noche. Now that I'm thinking about it, earning himself a performance bonus. He is uh, he is super exciting. I'll be excited for that fight. Elsewhere in the, uh, what do you want to call it, the MMA atmosphere is Tyron Woodley. That's right, the guy who was knocked out by Jake Paul, former UFC welterweight champion, said this. The UFC paid him similar to Cowboy Cerrone, and he said that MFR never even had uh, a shot at gold. Uh, that is, that is a certainly a very interesting point by Tyrone Woodley. But at the same time, after getting knocked out by Jake Paul, he's kind of lost everyone's respect. I mean, here's a dude who lasted five rounds with Kamaru Usman, lasted five rounds with uh, Gilbert Burns, with Colby Covington, actually didn't lose till round five of Colby Covington, uh, loss of Vicente Luque, of course, and then gets knocked out by Jake Paul. Tyrone Woodley has kind of been blacklisted by the MMA community. Unfortunate news in the uh, heavyweight division, as Chris Barnett is out of his March uh, 2nd UFC Vegas 8, or March 23rd UFC Vegas 89 bout versus Mohamed Usman, in will step undefeated English fighter Mick Parkin, who is a 6-0, I believe. Let me check. He might be. He may have more wins. Mick is 8-0, actually, with two UFC wins. Uh, last one coming over Jamal Pogues. And as for Mohamed Usman, I mean, he's 3-0 in the UFC, wins over Zach Pauga, Junior Tafa, and Jake Collier. Won the thirtieth season of the Ultimate Fighter, Kamaru Usman's uh, younger brother, I think it is. I believe it's his younger. Could be his older. Who knows? It's kind of weird with the weight difference. Uh, but you know, 
It's unfortunate we won't get to see Chris Barnett. He's a he's such a fun personality in the octagon. I always enjoy watching him. But you know, if you if you get hurt, if you get hurt, I want you to rest and be uh, be all good with yourself. As for that fight, Muhammad Usman McParkin, that should be an absolute banger, probably on the main card of that Vegas event, which I believe is headlined by Rose Nama Yunez and Amanda Hivas. Very odd main event. Also, another fight announced actually for that same card is Edmund Shabazian versus Dusko Todrovich. Edmund Shabazian is on a losing streak, man. I think he's lost his last three fights. Actually, no, Edmund Shabazian has lost his last four fights. He was 12-0 before he fought Derek Brunson. Uh, since then, he's been knocked out. He's been submitted. I mean, it's been tough going for him. And the same goes for Dusko Todrovich, who started out his career... Um, a perfect 10-0 that has now dropped three of his four uh, or dropped four of his seven fights in the UFC. has been an odd run. Uh, winner shall stay. The loser shall go for that bout. Also going down on that same card. And also on this UFC Vegas 89 card on March 23rd, we do have a fun one as Junior uh, Junior Taffa will be taking on Carl Williams. Junior Taffa, younger brother of Justin Taffa, had a massive knockout of Parker Porter. Actually sent him packing from the UFC back at... Oh gosh, well, was I think it was UFC Singapore back in August. Carl Williams, 2-0 in the UFC, wins over Chase Sherman, Lucas Brzeek. Happy to see him come back to other fights announced that aren't on my sheet. Hanata Dinez um, will be taking on Austin Lane April 27th at a, a supposed UFC Apex event. Uh, Hinata is 6-0, of course, won on the Contender Series against Eduardo Nives. And Austin Lane uh, is so far 0-1-1 in the... Oh, wait, it's 0-1-0-1. He has a no contest. So when it goes on a scorecard, it goes 0 wins, 1 loss, 0 draws, 1 uh, no contest. Very odd how they list that. But Austin Lane... Of course, had a big win over Juan Adams. Um, actually, I think outside of UFC, or maybe it was on Damage Contender Series. But he got knocked out brutally by Justin Taffa. Excited to see how he does coming back. And exciting about also on that UFC Vegas 89 card is Cameron Salmon versus Peyton Talbot. Cameron Salmon, uh, Salmon from uh, the uh, another South African fighter, same uh, nation as Driscus Duplessis, your middleweight champion. And he, uh, he had an interesting start. To his uh, career, 9-0, and lost his last bout, shockingly, got upsetted. Um, and as for Peyton Talbot, I mean, 7-0, 1-0 in the UFC in his debut, lost the first two rounds, and then came out in the third and absolutely finished his opponent. Super excited to see that fight going down. And one more fight announcement to round out the UFC news, as Vitor Petrino will be taking on Tyson Pedro at UFC Vegas 87, March 2nd. Vitor Petrino, 10-0, 3-0 in the UFC, light heavyweight fighter, big wins over Anton Turkaljic, and most recently, a knockout of Modestus Bukaki in a brilliant fashion. Tyson Pedro, 10-4 and 4 in the UFC. He actually holds wins over Paul Craig and Khalil Roundtree Jr. Excited to see him get back in the octagon. Lots of fun fighters uh, coming back. Lots of fun fights coming up, but nothing too massive. But announced no new, no new UFC 300 fights announced just yet. Should be coming up soon as we are now, all of February, all of March. We are two months and less than two weeks away from UFC 300, and we don't know the main event. We don't know the main event. Obviously, people are going to buy tickets because it's such a big card. But at the same time, I, what, what do we have now? I think we have 11 fights. I think we have 11 fights announced for the card. Might be 12. I can't really recall. 
but it's 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 there's one more big fight, and I think the UFC's working on it. It's looking like it could be Adesanya versus Duplessis, but I'm kind of hoping they throw a curveball and throw us a big fight. Maybe like Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz. That's too optimistic of me, I believe. But you know what? I enjoy being optimistic. Let's move on from the UFC for a bit and check on our NBA and NHL leagues. Of course, we used to do that every episode, but it was kind of getting old because like no games changed. But now we check in every other week or every other episode or something. We check them in once a week. In the Eastern Conference of the NBA, the Celtics are still the best team. And actually, they're the best team in the NBA. 37-11 and 11 record, so no team has a single-digit losses. Everyone has double digits. So we're not getting a greatest team of all time this year. But the Celtics are 8-2 their last 10 on a little two-game win streak. An illustrious 22-2 at home. I mean, that is amazing for season ticket holders. This team's been performing amazing, doing great. In second, the Milwaukee Bucks, 32-16. and 16. They are five games behind the Celtics. They're on a two-game losing streak since getting Doc Rivers as their head coach. I have no idea why they fired their past head coach, but since Doc Rivers has joined, the team is yet to win. In third place on an eight-game winning streak, 9-1 and one their last 10, the New York Knicks. Oh, my gosh, on absolute fire. That, uh, what was it, R.J. Barrett for whoever they trade away. Was it O.G. and Numby? Was it whoever they trade? The, the Knicks have won that trade immaculately. Amazing stuff by the New York Knicks. In fourth, you have the Cavaliers, 29-16. and 16. They're on a three-game win streak, doing pretty good. 76ers, four-game losing streak, or only 29-17. Very unfortunate stuff there. Pacers in six, Heat in seventh. Um, Hornets are on a five-game losing streak, ten and thirty-six. Detroit Pistons still the worst team in the NBA with a six and forty-one record. Ugh, just absolutely terrible. They have won uh, four games at home, two on the road. Wizards nine and thirty-eight. They are yet to get to uh, ten wins either. In the Western Conference, my Minnesota Timberwolves are the number one team still. 34-14 and 14 record. We're on a two-game win streak. Beat the Thunder last time out to hold, take over as the number one team. Thunder are in second, 33-15 record, but you know they're still a game back from the Timberwolves. Love it. Clippers find themselves in third place now, 31-15 and 15 record. They're 8-2 their last 10, coming off a big win. Kind of surprised they skyrocketed up here as the Nuggets, who are 33-16, and 16, have now fallen to the fourth spot. They are coming off of a loss, though. 19-4 and four at home. Very impressive. Kings are in fifth. Suns in sixth. Pelicans seventh. Mavericks down to eighth. Despite how good Luka Doncic has been playing. And the Lakers on two-game losing streak are now at ninth. And there are rumors... These are just rumors, might I add. Like, there's no validity to this whatsoever. But there are rumors that LeBron may be traded. I don't... I think it's more fun to think that that's... uh, Not fight. That that transaction, that trade could take place. But uh, I don't know. It seems very illogical that he would be traded. Rockets are in 11th. I actually just saw that they traded Victor Oladipo and two first-round picks for Steven Adams or something like that. Very odd trade. The Golden State Warriors, the downfall of the Warriors. When will this happen to the Chiefs? The Warriors ran the NBA for like, what was that, 2015, 2014? They ran it almost 10 years. Warriors 20 and 24 um, in 12th. Not too hot. I'm hoping that will happen to the Chiefs soon. Spurs got into 10 wins despite being on a two-game losing streak. They uh, are 10-38, and 38, but it's good to see. The Trailblazers, 15-33, two-game win streak. So, man, the only teams to not have double-digit wins are the Wizards and the Pitchers. 
Pistons. Yikes. Very, very much so. Yikes. Um, but anyways, the Western Conference is where I'm very happy to see the Timberwolves are at, are at the top. We have the most uh, least conference losses, most conference wins. Very, very impressive. I saw someone on TikTok was saying, like, who is going to be the best uh, out of all the past number one draft picks? Who's going to be the best out of all of them? And the, the, the consensus is that Victor Wimbanyama, when his career is all said and done, will be probably one of the greatest players of all time. And, you know, this could be the case that he's just not on a good team. There's certainly an ego ego thing with his team where people don't want to admit that they're not the best player on their team, but I don't really know. The NBA can stay for another day. Anyway, on to the NHL, to the ice, to the ice we go. No ice in Minnesota. I mean, it has been amazing, amazing weather here in Minnesota. It has made me so happy. I actually went for a walk today. I went for a walk, and while on that walk, I got some very good news. I called my mom. I found out that uh, I'm going to actually have a full room roommates uh, for next year. I won't have to work on getting a new house. I mean, just amazing stuff, amazing weather, an amazing day. But as for the ice world, the hockey realm, uh, in the Atlantic Division of the Eastern Conference, tied for the best team in the league, but the best team in the Eastern Conference is the Boston Bruins. 31-9-9, they got 71 points, a plus 45 point differential, 7-1-2, their last 10, they're on a two-game win streak. In second, the Panthers, 66 points to their name with a 31-14-4 record. They're on a four-game winning streak. Very impressive. In the Metropolitan Division, the Rangers are on top of that, but they are third in the conference itself, 30-16-3 record. They are 4-5-1 their last 10s. They've kind of been losing. Hurricanes got 61 points, 28-15-5 record. They're on a three-game heater. Um, Lightning, 27-18-5, they got 59 points. Uh, Maple Leafs, 25-14-8, they got 58 points. They're both on three-game winning streaks. At the bottom of the Eastern Conference, we do have the Blue Jackets with only 42 points to their name. And they're actually tied with the Senators for least amount of points, but they have the, the Blue Jackets have the least amount of wins. Only 16 wins this season and also a minus 36-point differential. That is, that is atrocious. Oh, my. Capitals... They're, uh, what are they, third to last, four-game losing streak. The Flyers, five-game losing streak. Wow, wow. They were on a five-game win streak. Now they're on a five-game losing streak. Pretty crazy. So it looks like the best teams in the Eastern Conference are the Bruins, the Panthers, the Rangers, and the Lightning. Hurricanes, too. They've all been performing very well. I, I love to see that. I very much love to see that. Let's check out the Western Conference where my Minnesota Wild have 47 points, are second to last in the Central Division, and I'm pretty sure are fourth in the uh, fourth from the bottom. That is, they're on a two-game losing streak. Not as bad as the Blackhawks, though, who are last in the NHL with only 30 points, 14 wins to their name. They're also on a four-game losing streak, minus 72-point differential. But actually, when we go to the Pacific Division, Sharks, 14 wins to their name. They have a minus 92-point differential. Absolutely insane. Canucks, best team in the West, uh, 33 wins, 11 losses in uh, regular, uh, 5 losses in OT. Give them 71 points. 8-0-2, their last 10, yet to lose in regulation. Oilers, oh my gosh, Oilers, 29-15-1 record, are on a 16-game winning streak. That is utterly insane. Good job for the Oilers, man. Excellent job. Uh, Avalanche, they are on a 3-game win streak. So are the Stars. 
But uh, most wins in the league, it looks like it belongs to the Canucks. They got 33. Canucks have the most wins. So I'd say the Canucks are the best team in the NHL at the moment. Let's actually, who's on the Canucks? Who's on the Canucks? For in my hockey list, there's uh, Andre Kuzmenko. Looks like he's good. Elias Peterson, Quint Hughes, Brock Bozer. Uh, Brock Bozer, that kind of rings a bell. Where did Brock go to college? Um, Brock Bozer, uh, he's from Burnsville, Minnesota. That's why I knew it. I knew that sounded familiar. Did he go to college? Did he go to college anywhere? I have no idea, but I know he's from Minnesota, so that's why it rings a bell. We'll be back in next week to check in with the leagues. I won't lie, I do care more about the NBA than the NHL, but that's just because I know more. Just because I know more, I don't know too much about the NHL in general, so that's kind of, kind of why that's how it goes. Let's do our little, uh, one little NFL segment we have for the episode is uh, we are going to talk about the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl, everyone loves the Pro Bowl. No, we don't. The NFL has turned the Pro Bowl into a joke, but I figured nonetheless we'll look at the rosters for the official game. I'm not even going to talk about the skills games, but I don't know. It's it's just kind of become a joke. I think it's flag football now. There's no stipulations. There's no real reason to play. It just seems like a money grab. In the AFC, your QBs are going to be Tua Tagovailoa, who will be starting, CJ Mastrode, and Gardner Minshew, as Patrick Mahomes will not be playing, and I'm hearing that Lamar will not be playing. Very curious how Gardner Minshew made it. That is that is super fascinating to me. Your running backs will be Raheem Mostert, who will be starting, James Cook of the Bills, and Derrick Henry of the Titans. Huh, interesting. Fullback will be Alec Ingold. Wide receivers Tyree Kill and Amari Cooper will be your starters. Keenan Allen and Jamar Chase, your backups. Tight ends, Travis Kelsey will be replaced by Evan Ingram, as he should, and David Njoku will be playing. Um, Tackles, guards, centers, does any of that really matter? Uh, Miles Garrett, Max Crosby, amazing defensive ends. You also got Chris Jones, Quinton Williams, TJ Watt, and Khalil Mack. That's a dirty, dirty outside linebacker duo. Uh, Rokin Smith and Patrick Queen, both Ravens, will be your middle linebackers in rotation. And uh, Pat Sertain and Sauce Gardner will be your starting cornerbacks. Who's kicking? Uh, AJ Cole's your punter. Justin Tucker, of course, is your kicker. Actually, I was hearing there was some... Some rumbling that there was some beef between Justin Tucker and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Apparently, um, what's his face? Tucker was kicking, like practicing kicking field goals while the Chiefs were warming up. He was messing up the routine. He was breaking like unwritten rules. I, I have no idea. I hate these unwritten rules. That stuff is that stuff is so dumb. It's so irritating. I, I just cannot stand that stuff. In the NFC, your starting QBs will be J. Oh. Wow, Jalen Hurts will be stepping in, most likely going to be your starter. Then you also have Baker Mayfield and Geno Smith. Huh, how about that? Yeah, AFC QBs are much better. Running backs, you got Jameer Gibbs replacing McCaffrey, DeAndre Swift, and Kyrene Williams. How about that? Two rookies and your running backs. CJ Ham of the Minnesota Vikings will be replacing Kyle Jusick as your fullback. Love to see it. Love CJ Ham. I hope you keep him around. Your wide receivers, C. Day Lamb, A.J. Brown, Mike Evans, and Puka Naku. Oh, actually, Amon Ross St. Brown is replacing A.J. Brown, and D.K. Metcalf is replacing Mike Evans. How about that? I'm happy Puka's up there, though. That makes me happy. Um, Jake Ferguson will replace George Kittle, and he will join Sam Laporta as your two tight ends. How about that? Two rookie tight ends. I'd love to see. I'd love to see the rookies getting their uh, recognition. Uh, where are my Minnesota Vikings at? 
Um, Nick Bosa will be replaced by Demarcus Lawrence of the Dallas Cowboys. Montez Sweat of the Bears made it on defensive end. Good for him. Uh, Daniel Hunter, outside linebacker. He'll be starting. Minnesota Viking, love him. Um, Darius Slay will be replacing uh, Charvarius Ward. Dron Bland is starting. Um, Andre DiPaolo of the Minnesota Vikings will be your long snapper. How about that? Brandon Aubrey um, will be your kicker. Amazing. Love to see that. And Rashid Shahid will be the kick returner. Oh, that's fine. Actually, who's the kick returner for the AFC? I didn't even realize they did uh, kick returns. I suppose that makes sense. Um, they also have a snubbed section. What in the world? We're going to look at the stuff. <laughs> who's the NFL? This is on the NFL's page. Who's the NFL saying was snubbed? What in the goofiness? I just, the NFL sometimes. Uh, your kick returner is Marvin Mims Jr. of the Broncos. Yeah, actually, yeah. I think I could ever call Marvin Mims having some good plays. I don't know if he returned. Did he return a punt? He had to have returned a punt. Um, 2024 Pro Bowl game snubs. Let's check it out. Um... Number 10 is Dustin Hopkins of the Cleveland Browns kicker. Doesn't really matter. Bradley Chubb, offensive uh, outside linebacker for the Miami Dolphins, I guess. They did They did send a lot of Dolphins there. Derek Brown, defensive tackle of the Panthers. Yeah, no Panthers were making it. Kevin Dotson, guard of the Rams. Amonra St. Brown made it in, so he's not snubbed. Josh Allen being snubbed, there has to, there has to be a reason for that. Did he get hurt? Did he just like decline it? Because that's actually wild. Uh, Brandon Ayuk was snubbed, nonetheless. I mean, he obviously can't play in the Pro Bowl, but he got snubbed. I do find that kind of BS. Brandon Ayuk's amazing. Antoine Winfield Jr., uh, safety for Tampa Bay Bucks. Wow. Yeah, I'm actually very much surprised he didn't make it. Actually, Antoine Winfield Jr., Minnesota boy. Love to see that. Uh, and they also have a huge list of other people who were snubbed. Vikings tight end TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, he got hurt, though. He got hurt. Um, Jake Elliott, Eagles kicker, I, I guess. I don't, I don't really think so. CJ Straub, but he got in. Jerry Goff. Did Goff get snubbed? I mean, I don't know. ETN getting snubbed. That was pretty brutal. Ivan Pace Jr., linebacker for the Vikings. Should have given it to him. DJ Moore, the Bears. I would have loved to have seen him. And Brees Hall. Yes, Brees Hall actually finished as the number two fantasy um, running back, as I will mention tons of times. And he got snubbed. That is uh, certainly not good. That's certainly not good at all. A lot, of, a lot of action at the NFL Pro Bowl games, but I will not. I will not be watching that. Nothing personal. Nothing personal, but just not for me. Not for me. Something that I was uh, going to talk about on this episode, but we're actually going to save for maybe not next week or even the week after, but in a future episode, we're going to be revisiting UFC 100 and 200 as we gear up for the monster that is UFC 300. Um, technically speaking, 100 and 200 should be your best events of all time. They aren't really. We're going to look at what star power is on there, fighters who fought on both of them that are still in the UFC today. Of course, I believe Jim Miller is the only fighter that is going to fight in all three. I think even if he's injured for UFC 300, he'll hide it. He'll secretly hide it so that he can uh, so that he can watch it, but watch it so that he can partake in it. But um, speaking of a uh, series stuff that we're not gonna save for another episode is the 48 Laws of Power. We've been grinding. We've been reading through them all. We've been taking everyone with us on our journey to world domination. No, I'm just kidding. It's all about how you use these. It's all about how you treat this information. But honestly, sometimes I read some of the chapters in this 48 Laws of Power book, and I, I, I read about my friends. I read about my family members, and it's really trippy. It's really trippy because you realize that everyone can kind of fit into a category. Everyone kind of fits with their own pattern, if you will. But 
Let's read the, uh, not reread, but just let me tell you about the four laws that I read. So law 20 is do not commit to anyone. It says, it is the fool who always rushes to take sides. Do not commit to any side or cause but yourself. By maintaining your independence, you become the master of others, playing people against one another, making them pursue you. Obviously, this doesn't mean like be single your whole life. This uh, this refers more to when there's two sides. Let's say two of your this say you're a trio of friends. Your two friends are fighting. You never take sides. You play both evenly. But you have to be careful how you do it. Um, the first part was basically saying do not commit to anyone at all, but be courted by all. If you allow people to feel they possess you to any degree, you lose all power over them. By not committing your affections, they will only try harder to win you over. Stay aloof and you gain the power that comes from their attention and frustrated desire. Play the virgin queen. Give them hope but never satisfaction. And it basically told a story about Queen Elizabeth I back in the 1500s who ascended the throne of England and basically how do I, turn, turn down, turn down every suitor, remained a virgin her whole life apparently, never committed to anyone and I was just basically she ruled she ruled and she had respect for doing it too which I find very very fascinating she actually had this quote saying I would rather be a beggar and single than a queen and married um I don't really know if that's the case I I, I would not want to be a beggar and single or that rather than a queen than married I, I would very much be a king and be married but who who knows who knows this is the image it um paints the virgin queen the center of attention desire and even worship how about that never succumbing to one suitor or the other the virgin queen keeps them all revolving around her like planets unable to leave her orbit but never getting any closer to her how about that find that very cool then also told a second part uh, do not commit to anyone stay above the fray do not let people drag you into their petty fights and squabbles very good point that has happened to me a lot in my life actually one scenario it happened in we actually don't talk to one of my friends anymore it's pretty well, that's a story for another day um seem interested and supportive but find a way to remain neutral very important let others do the fighting while you stand back watch and wait i have i've watched fights before never never engaged when the fighting parties are good and tired they will be ripe for the picking you can make it a practice in fact to stir up quarrels between other people and then offer to me mediate Medi me mediate i think that's where it's not meditate mediate gaining power as they go between and this tells the story of this um basically back in the the 1400s this is uh, a is a uh, isabella de este she was the daughter of the ruler of a uh, italian uh, duché if you will back there a bunch of different ruling powers back then and she basically played all different sides of the european area uh, she had she had multiple husbands. She had freaking. Uh, she would always like never commit to a country. Like when it was basically like, hey, we want your support. Another country saying, hey, we want your support. She'd be neutral all about it. Um, and actually, there's this quote by Balthazar Gracian. He has a lot of famous quotes. Men of great abilities are slow to act, for it is easier to avoid occasions for committing yourself than to come well out of a commitment. Such occasions test your judgment. It is safer to avoid them than to emerge victorious from them. One obligation leads to a greater one, and you come very near to the brink of disaster. I actually have that quote written on my whiteboard. It's the quote of the week. Be careful with obligations and commitments. Often at times we'll just say yes to situations where we don't even think about it. We've all been uh, obligated or committed to something that we never really wanted to do in the first place. An ancient Chinese saying goes, when the snip and the muscle struggle, the fisherman gets the benefit. That is, that is actually very true. There's always someone pulling, pulling the strings.
Law number 21, play a sucker to catch a sucker, seem dumber than your mark. And this told an excellent story. They actually talked about the Rothschilds, and it basically talked about two miners who were able to finesse a bunch of the rich um, rich elites of the United States, that there was a bunch of gold in California, and the uh, they paid off. They paid off the... Um, Two men that found it, like $10 million, because they thought they were going to make billions off of it. But turns out that they had actually used um, a loan that they had given them as like a down payment to buy a bunch of fake gold, plant it all there. So then when, um, when they had a, like a, what do you call it, like a tester, if you ever, you know, the pawn shop, I got a guy to come in. Yeah, they had a guy who went down and checked it all out. He said it was all good. And then they just told the two, um, two because they, they played dumb. The two, uh, what, what were they, miners, if you will, that found it. They played dumb and acted like, uh, you know, hey, yeah, we'll take $10 million. We don't really care when the, they were, you know, the, the rich people thought they could finesse them and go, oh, they aren't going to be billionaires. We'll just give them $10 million to split. And, well, they finessed their way out of um, uh, having to pay that. I'm kind of explaining this kind of weirdly, but just the law itself. The law itself should be play a sucker to catch a sucker. Seem dumber than your mark. No one likes feeling stupider than the next person, you know. And I'm guilty of this because I know a lot of facts. But sort of when someone says something wrong and you immediately correct them, or if you're trying to seem like better than you are, it's never be- It's never good to seem better than you are. Well, there's obviously specific um, situations. Of course, everything's situational. But if you really want to be smart, you really need to play the play the part. Here's the image for you: the possum. In playing dead, the possum plays stupid. Many a predator has therefore left it alone. Who could believe that such an ugly, unintelligent, nervous little creature could be capable of such a deception? How about that? Sometimes we need to play the possum. We need to play dead, play dumb, so that we are not uh, not used to uh, not used to uh, take over. I have no idea. Sometimes I just uh, speak and nothing really comes out. Sometimes I'm just that's one of the one things about being an only child. You know, kind of talking to myself a lot, not in a weird way. I know people saying, like, oh, you talk to yourself. That's that's kind of weird. I feel like everyone talks to themselves. But being, like, an only child, you know, I would voice all my toys and stuff. I didn't, you know, I used to I used to just talk to myself downstairs about, like, UFC and stuff when I was, like, reading about the fights. And I think it sometimes comes out when I'm talking here where I'm just talking, but nothing's really saying. But Law 21, play dumber than your mark. Did I just play dumb right now? Did I just fool you all? What do I know? Law number 22, use the surrender tactic, transform weakness into power, and this gives many of examples of people who surrendered and were then able to come back and uh, avenge their uh, situations. But this is all this is all certainly situational, as there are some scenarios where you know that uh, if you uh, surrender, you'll die. Sometimes it's better to die fighting to try and support the cause. But it gives examples of back in the 1950s when the the Red Scare communists in Hollywood. And there was an actual known uh, communist. Uh, what was his name? Edwards? Or it was... Um let me find his name. I want, I want to find his name. It was uh, Bre- Edward, was it Edward Breck? No, it was Bertolt Breck, who was a German writer, uh, known communist. And when he was brought up to the stand to sort of testify, um, like the congressional hearing was going to talk to them, uh, he basically surrendered, basically said like, yeah, like I supported this. But he said it in like a very melatonin way. He said that uh, he hated Germany. So it's kind of like, you know, yeah, I'm a communist, but I hate Germany. You know, in, in my films, I've said I hate Germany. And they actually let him go while other um, 
of the people they talked to got persecuted. And he fled to Germany and lived out his life as a director. So, so it's certainly certainly interesting how you deal with this. Um, I, I, it's kind of interesting. Some of these laws, it's hard to picture into our own personal lives when we live such civil, calm sort of lives. But, um, you know, if, you're, if your backs are against the wall, sometimes it's best to surrender. You know, uh, no, no one hates anyone more than someone who surrenders. I mean, talk, talk, how about when you're, uh, when you're playing someone, you're playing someone in a video game and you know, you're up, you're starting to get up big and they just go, okay, I'm done. You can win. Or when you're in an argument with someone and they go, okay, I'm not even going to fight you. You can win. That pisses you off. That really does piss you off. Cause you're kind of like, well, well, like, yeah, I know I'm better, but I want to keep proving that I'm better than you. Or like when you're up in like a game or something and everyone just stops trying. There's something about people stopping to try and surrendering that really irritates you. And then when you go after them, you know, you kind of look like the bad guy. Certainly very interesting. The final law that I read, I believe last night before bed, was concentrate your forces. Law number 23, conserve your forces and energies by keeping them concentrated at their strongest point. You gain more by finding a rich mine and mining it deeper than by flirting from one shallow mine to another. Intensity defeats extensity every time. When looking for sources of power to elevate you, find the one key patron, the fat cow who will give you milk for a long, long time. And they use the example of the Rothschilds, how we all know about the Rothschilds, the family that controls the whole world. Uh, start off as just simple banking people back in the 1800s, and the father sent out all of his sons across Europe to gain control in all the banks. And eventually they controlled basically all of Europe. And the weird thing they did, which I found out, is that they actually chose to intermarry with their um, kids' children. It was super weird. So one of the youngest Rothschilds actually married his oldest um, brother's daughter, which is absolutely wild. And they intermarried to remain concentrated in their forces as a family so that no outsiders could come. I'm pretty sure since then they've married into other families and they've chosen like directly who they're marrying into. But man, it was just wild to hear that, that they just concentrated all their forces into one family, one, one unit, and by keeping their forces concentrated into one family unit, that was how they were able to gain so much power. Here's the image to paint for you. The arrow. You cannot hit two targets with one arrow. If your thoughts stray, you miss the enemy's heart. Mind and arrow must become one. Only with such concentration of mental and physical power can your arrow hit the target and pierce the heart. I really take this law and concentrate my forces as focusing on one task. For instance, tomorrow I have to, uh, I have to go to the gym. I have to do my microeconomics homework. I have to actually go to a Zoom for like this, uh, what is it, uh, accounting thing. I have to do something at Batteries Plus. I have to do my international business homework. I have to do my laundry. And by separating that up into different tasks and focusing all my energy on one, not trying to break them up, not trying to do my laundry, do my homework, do a Zoom all at once, by focusing completely on one thing, I can best execute at it. And you can also compare this to the gym where when you go to the gym and let's say you uh, you hit a little bench press and then you go hit some lat pull downs and then you go hit some barbell curls then you go hit some squats you know you're not hitting you're hitting everything but you're not hitting it to its maximum intensity now let's say i go and i do some one arm pull downs then I go and uh, do some lat pull downs. I do some uh, back pulls and stuff. Just focus on one thing for a day. You're like, you know, I have a back day. I have a chest day. I have a leg day. You're focusing all your energy on that one muscle, and that's how you get it to grow. So that's how kind of what I take out of it. 
that's kind of what I take out of this law. And it's certainly a very, very important one to uh, always be focused on one thing at a time. Multitasking is kind of a myth from what I've heard. And it's tough to do for a lot of people. Next episode, next episode, actually, yeah, but as for me, probably after this is over, I'll be uh, reading Law 24, which says, play the perfect courtier. Hmm, I don't know what that means off the top of my head. What is a courtier? Is that like um, friend? Is that enemy? I don't know. The courtier could be a number of things, but this book continues to keep us going along. We're only halfway through, so Law 24 will actually be halfway through. We'll have to see uh, how it all pans out. Once it's all over, but we got two more things to talk about on this episode. One being our 2021 in review of my time in the UFC in 2021. And to cap us off, we'll be giving a full preview of UFC Vegas 85. I'm going to take a quicker mission. See, I'm stumbling. I need some water. I need to get locked back in before we review an entire year of 2021 when I uh, got in the UFC. Actually, I was already in UFC, but you know what I mean. Alrighty, we are back, and UFC 2021, now that I remember a lot more, this was basically the coming out of COVID year, we started having more events at stadiums and stuff, and this was a this was a very crazy year in the UFC, so let's revisit it, starting with some of our releases and retirements, um, by the way, 43 total events in the uh, UFC in that year, from January 16th to December 18th. Ali Akinta retired this year. You can still find him in UFC uh, EA Sports 5 three years after he retired. I just, that just amazed me. Alan Joban also retired. Um, Alexander Yakolov was released in June. Alistair Overeem was released in March. But he basically, he was going to be out of the UFC no matter what. A lot, of, a lot of crazy stuff here. Bartosz Fabinski was released. I feel like he's been in other promotions. Brock Weaver, who I thought was going to be amazing, was released. Dan Hardy was officially released. He's actually, he commentated some UFC events. Actually fought George St. Pierre. I'm pretty sure for the belt. Damian Maya's contract ran out this year. Diego Sanchez was released this year. He had a very, very odd ending to his uh, to his career. John Vionte retired. Ipa Consagna was released in December. Ipa Consagna, the man who won the light heavyweight division of the PFL's tournament. Amazing comeback story to see. Jimmy Flick actually retired in April, and he actually won on our last UFC event. How about that? Joseph Benavidez retired. Junior Dos Santos was released. Kevin Lee was released in November. It's funny how he always finds his way back, I feel. Marie Renault retired that, that summer. Mirsak Bektik retired. I'm pretty sure you can still find him in the game. Um, Omari Akhmedov was released. He actually competed in the PFL. to pretty decent. Paul Felder retired. I remember that. He retired in May. Very unfortunate. He might be coming back this year, though. He may be coming back. Tyron Woodley's contract ended in April. And uh, Yancey Medeiros was released in August. Another fighter you can oddly find the game. Some interesting UFC fighters who debuted in 2021 in November debuted Alex Pereira, who would then go on in the next three years to win the UFC's middleweight and light heavyweight championships. Amazing. Benoit Saint-Denis, who we mentioned earlier, he debuted on this uh, in this year. Carlos Uleberg, notable UFC light heavyweight, he debuted in this year. Chris Curtis debuted also in November. Pretty interesting. Aaron Blanchfield, who could be fighting for the women's flyweight belt this year. She, actually my pick to win it, she debuted this year. Gilbert Urbina debuted in 2021. We'll actually be talking about him in a bit. 
Um, anyone else? JP buys. He has one of the funniest UFC runs. He had like four fights and was knocked down like eight times. Um, and now Cape debuted in the UFC. It's funny how bad he started off and then how good he turned to be. Michael Chandler debuted in January. One of the wildest years for Michael Chandler, actually. Thank you, back on Michael Chandler. Three fights, all all amazing. Um, bum, 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 bum. Tabitha Ritchie, Terrence McKinney, Umar Nurmagomedov. A lot, a lot of fun fighters. Um, a suspensions. TJ Dillashaw's suspension came to an end. Um, bum, bum, bum. Anyone else? Mark Andre Balut's suspension came to an end. Yair Rodriguez, his suspension came to an end. He, uh, why? Yair was suspended for having three whereabout failures in the following year. Very odd, huh? Did not even know that. Um, the Ultimate Fighter, Brian Battle and uh, Ricky Tercios won their seasons. Uh, Gilbert Urbina was a runner-up, and Brady Heistead was a runner-up. Um, Ricky Tercios and Brady Heistead both uh, have proven they aren't that good. The, the Ultimate Fighter has been kind of lacking the past years. It's been, it has been very much so lacking, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Um, and whatever, whatever season comes this year. Let's kick us off with uh, what we started the year with. I remember I was in my living room watching this. It was sort of midday when I watched Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater, which went down on Fight Island, and this was absolutely ridiculous. This was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, first off, um, no no one really notable on the prelims. Um, Lee Jing and Leong knocked out Santiago Ponsonibio, who came back after three years. Pretty funny. But in the main event, Max Holloway absolutely destroyed Calvin Cater, saying the striking record. I remember I actually picked Calvin Cater and watched it live. I'm like, okay, you can stop this. Okay, you can stop this. And the ref was just not stopping it. An onslaught for Max Holloway. Super interesting. I mean, it was wild. A wild, wild fight. And Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater is one of the craziest openings to UFC year that uh, I think we'll ever, ever have, probably. Following that, we actually had a Wednesday card. Michael Chiesa and Neil Magny. I recall watching this um, before I left for work, and it was absolutely a waste of my time as it was so boring. Michael Chiesa just grappled Neil Magny through five rounds. It's pretty crazy that Michael Chiesa at one point was nearing like the top ten or whatever of the um, – or was nearing the top five. Actually, was fighting for a belt soon, almost, in the UFC. It's crazy about that. Manny Fiorat fought on this card. Uh, she's uh, she'll be fighting Aaron Blanchfield coming up at the end of the March. At the end of March, Umar Nurmagomedov got submission. Um, Ricky Simone got an arm triangle on the prelims. How about that? Ricky to, uh, Ricky Simone, love love that guy. Leron Murphy won on the main card. Yeah, this is. This is one of the most irrelevant cards, I think, in UFC history. But then we got to UFC 257. Dustin Poirier, Kyron McGregor. I went over to my buddy's house for us to watch this, and it was absolutely wild. I mean, such a good time. On the prelims, by the way, Amir Albazi and Mosvarevlov on the early prelims, both getting wins. On the regular prelims, you had Julia Pena getting her win over Sarah McMahon with got her a title shot. Unreal. I can't believe she got a title shot for that. Armin Sarukian beat Matt Fravola on the prelims. Pretty funny. I remember the main card kicking off. Marina Rodriguez getting a uh, the second round TKO over Amanda Hebas. Mahmoud Murata finishing Andrew Sanchez in round three. Joanne Caldwell and Jessica I putting on a snooze fest. Then Michael Chandler knocking out Dan Hooker in round one was absolutely wild. And then Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. McGregor won round one and then proceeded to lose in round two. Got knocked out two and a half minutes in. What a wild, what a wild card. I remember the shock factor for that. Um, by the way, first event forever with a crowd, which was amazing to see. But just just the sheer, the sheer uh, oh man, shock of Dustin Poirier actually being in Conor McGregor. It was very humbling as a McGregor fan. And by the way, that, that player model 
of what he looked like with a bald head and a beard is still used in the game today, which is not what McGregor looks like at all. I find that pretty funny. It was back to the apex in February where we had Alistair Overeem and Alexander Volkov, which was the last time we ever saw Alistair Overeem in the UFC and ever will. Pretty fun fact. Uh, he was brutally, brutally knocked out by uh, Volkov in round number two. I mean, just was pieced up throughout the whole fight. Uh, very sad to see, but Volkov, still still a notable person today in the UFC. On the main card, you had Bilal Ayush defeating Diego Ferreira. Wow, by split decision. Don't even remember that fight. Pantoa taking on Mel Cape. Clay Guida, Michael Johnson. Corey Sanhagen knocking out Frankie Edgar in 28 seconds with a flying knee. One of the most notable, notable knockouts. You see history just hits him with a knee, and he falls straight down. Amazing, amazing stuff. I do remember that. What I sadly remember is UFC 258, which is one of the biggest wastes of money that I've ever seen. Um, this was absolutely awful, awful main card. Um, just the whole card in general. Did it? Did this keep falling apart or something? I'm very much confused. Um, Calvin Gastelum. Um, I think I just think from the get go that this was just never. There was never star power on this card at all. The main event, Kamaru Usman finishes Gilbert Burns' best moment of the card. On the coming event, you had Alexa Grasso defeating Macy Barber. Uh, main card, you also had Calvin Gastelum and Heinish in a snooze fest. Ricky Simone defeating Brian Kelleher in a snooze fest. And Julian Marquez, after dropping the first two rounds and majority of the third round, would come back to beat McKee Petolo. Um, Blah Muhammad would win on the prelims. That's all I got. UFC 258, very, very forgettable. Ugh, I actually went 1-4 on my picks for that card. Um, next up was Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis. I remember this. Curtis Blades winning round one, and then round two shoots for his first takedown of the fight and gets hit with an uppercut, drops down cold. Absolutely wild. You also had Tom Aspinall defeating Andre Arlovsky, but with a rear naked chokehold. This was when I first started taking him uh, legitly, Tom Aspinall. Sergey Spivak got a win on the prelims. Uh, yeah, that's that's all I guess. So pretty rough start to 2021 now looking back on it. Um, another Apex card, Rosenstruck versus Gone. This was uh, Cyril Gone's first main event. Uh, just absolutely outboxed Rosenstreet through five rounds. Very, very much of a success. Actually, there was only one finish on this card. Wow, and that was Ronnie Lawrence TKOing Vince Cachero. How about that? Fight of the night was Pedro Munoz versus Jimmy Rivera. That was a fun fight. Uh, you had Tiago Moises winning, Alex Caceres winning, Maribel Silva winning, Magomed Ankalaev and Nikita Krylov. Wow, wow, wow. I wonder if we've ever had a UFC fight event where it's been all decisions. I hope not. I really hope not. UFC 259 was next, and I feel like I remember this. Actually, I do remember UFC 259 because I just hung out with my current girlfriend, and she basically told me that she wanted to just be friends. Um, so I was pretty heartbroken that I watched this. It actually turned out working out. We were, Remaining friends was the best choice. It's always Sometimes it's better to remain friends for a bit before diving right into a relationship. But I was treated to f just five straight um, interesting, interesting fights. So UFC 259. Uh, on the prelims, early prelims, by the way, Amanda Lemos, Sean Brady, uh, Kenny and Chukani all getting finishes. Pretty wild. Uh, Kaikara France getting a round one knockout of Rogero Bontarin. Uh, Askar Askarov retiring Jose Benavides. Kyler Phillips winning a decision over Sonia Dong. Talk about the oddest thing ever. Dominic Cruz winning a split decision against Casey Kenny. Main card kicks off. Alexander Rakic and Thiago Santos put on a snooze fest. 
Islam Makachev grapples Drew Dober to death, so made him in round three. Aljamain Sterling, Pirion, the infamous uh, illegal knee DQ. We'll forget that. Amanda Nunes literally destroying Megan Anderson, showing the skill gap in the women's divisions. And then Jan Blachowicz and Angela Asanya putting on one of the most boring fights I've ever seen. Wow, and it was like, dang, dang, Asanya cannot grapple. Following that, we had UFC Fight Night Leon Edwards and Bilal Muhammad at the Apex, too. And, oh, my gosh, it's crazy to see where both these guys went from here. Uh, there was an eye poke from Leon Edwards in this fight, which is just an absolute vibe killer. Um, kicking off the card, actually, was Matthew Semmelsberger knocking out Jason Witt in 16 seconds. would turn out to be Matthew Semmelsberger's best career achievement. Charles Jourdain would get a round three TKO on this card. Um, Thais Kalu would defeat Minel Cape by split decision. Davey Grant knocking out Jonathan Martinez. I remember that. Dan Ige's 22-second knockout. Gavin Tucker, one-shot KO. Ryan Spann destroying Misha Sergadoff in round one. And yeah, Leon Edwards and Balmohab. It's crazy they might be rematching soon. That's that's pretty wild to look back on. Uh, then we had a UFC on ESPN. Brunson versus Holland. Oh my gosh, another brutal fight. It was Kevin Holland talking trash the whole fight as he got brutally outgrappled by Derek Brunson before winning the final round of the fight. You also had Max Griffin getting a nice KO of Song Kinan. Tai Tuivasa coming back to beat Harry Hunsucker. Pretty fun fight there. Uh, yeah, Andre Yanez getting a KO. Yeah, nothing really memorable on that card. UFC 260, though. Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou. The rematch. Who will never, who, who will ever forget this? Pretty wild. And there's actually supposed to be a featherweight um, championship co-main event between Volkanovski and Ortega, but that was rescheduled for later in the year. Johnny Walker was supposed to face Jimmy Crute, but Walker was pulled out of the fight. Pretty crazy. And then Crute was scheduled to fight Anthony Smith um, in the next uh, pay-per-view. Wow, I didn't even know, remember that. Nganu, of course, knocked out Stipe in the main event in round two. Nganu was in his prime this night. Amazing performance. And the co-main, Vicente Luque, submitting Tyron Woodley, as I mentioned earlier, with a Bravo choke. I believe that's an Anaconda choke. Sean O'Malley put on an excellent performance here against Thomas Almeida. And uh, you even had Alonzo Menfield getting a shoulder choke on the prelims. Well, about that. 260, one of the better apex guards, in my opinion. Uh, UFC on ABC was supposed to be Darren Till and Marvin Vittori. Darren Till pulled out the pullout king, if you ask me. That's why he has no children. And he took on Kevin Holland, and we got a repeat of Holland versus Brunson as Vittori just grappled Holland to death. Actually, I'm pretty sure tied a middleweight record or something. It was so, so goofy. Um, elsewhere, you had Arnold Allen and Sodik Yusuf. Mackenzie Dern submitting Nia Nunes with an armbar. Love to see that. Uh, Julian Marquez and Sam Olivey swinging for the fences. I do remember that. And Daniel Rodriguez rearranging Mike Perry's face live on ABC in a bloody fashion. Actually, Matus Gamrot knocking out Scott Holtzman. I do recall that. Interesting, interesting card. Nothing memorable. In April 2021, I remember I was at my uh, my girlfriend's house watching this. Whitaker and Gaslam. Uh, I don't even think we watched it. It was so boring. So boring. All decisions on the main card. Robert Whitaker just outclassed Calvin Gaslam. But who was Whitaker supposed to fight? Whitaker was supposed to fight Paulo Costa. Gosh, the number of times that fight has been scheduled and never occurred. Andre Olovsky got a win on this card. Alexander Romanov got a win. Yeah, pretty, pretty lame card if you ask me. But UFC 261, one of my favorite pay-per-view main cards of all time. I remember hanging out with my girlfriend. Um, I believe this was like our prom prom night or something. I I, I think it might have been. 
and I come back and I watch this main card and it was just absolutely electric. So this was this event was originally supposed to be in Singapore, but they had um COVID protocol, so it was moved to Jacksonville, Florida, and this crowd was all here for it. I mean, prelims, nothing really too interesting. I mean, Brendan Allen getting a submission win on here, cool to look at, but the main card kicks off. Anthony Smith, Jimmy Crute. I mean, Jimmy Crute's regularly giving out the doctor having to stop it after round one, after putting out a pretty, pretty impressive performance against Anthony Smith. Both of their careers have kind of gone down since then. Then, next fight, Uriah Hill. Chris Weidman, Chris Weidman snaps his leg um, on your house thigh, bends it around, breaks it. Absolutely grotesque, absolutely shocking. I remember watching that like, oh my gosh. And then three straight title fights, three straight Ws. Valentina fights Jessica Andrade. Before the fight, Jessica Andrade said her grappling would make the difference in this fight. Valentina would land seven of seven takedowns and TKO her in round number two. Classic Valentina performance. Co-main event, Rose Nami Yunus fighting the champion Zhang Weili for the belt. Gets a minute and 18 second head kick KO. And I mean, the crowd pop for that was absolutely nuts. Something out of WWE. Lands some follow-up punches and Rose Nami Yunus would go on to win. It's wild to see where they both ended up. Zhang Weili is currently the champion and Rose Nami Yunus kind of at the bottom of the barrel. Main event, Kamaru Usman, Jorge Masvidal, and who doesn't remember the round two one-punch knockout? And I predicted, I predicted this before this fight, that Usman would knock him out, and it came true. I wish I had that on evidence, on like, uh, what is it, Ev- on uh, call, what is it, on record, that's it, I wish I had that on record, but you'll just have to take my word for it, that was amazing. Following that, in to May, May 1st, the last day I worked at Cub Foods. I will never work at Cub Foods again. I encourage no one to work at Cub Foods. But this uh, this card on this day was Jiri Prochaska versus Dominic Reyes. And I witnessed one of the wildest knockouts when Jiri hit a spinning back elbow with 30 seconds left in round number two. Dominic Reyes face plants. That was an amazing fight, and I absolutely love that. Actually, in the co-main event, Giga Chikadze would knock out Cub Swanson in a minute with a nasty body kick. Um, you also had Ian Kudalaba um, 10-8-ing Dustin Jacoby in round number one, and then Jacoby winning the next two rounds. Pretty funny. Sean Strickland winning on this card. Rob Dovichelli winning on this card. Um, but that Jiri knockout. Oh, my goodness. Amazing. Um, what is this? Uh, you, next up, we had an Apex event. Oh, it was Michelle Watterson versus... Marina Rodriguez, very boring, uh, nothing happened. Alex Morono, TKOing down Cerrone, very sad to see that. Neil Magny defeating Jeff Neal. Uh, wow, the, Neil Magny, ultimate gatekeeper, love that. Gregor Giuseppe TKOing uh, Diego Ferreira in round number two, that was pretty fun. Phil Hawes actually getting a win on this card, yeah. Pretty irrelevant, wow, a lot of irrelevant, irrelevant uh, fight nights this year. Uh, oh, but UFC 262, I was at my girlfriend's house watching this, and I was all locked in. I mean, prelims, when we look back on, Andre Munoz, he actually broke Hanato Souza's arm, uh, arm, like he put him in an arm bar, broke it pretty well, but the main card, Edson Barbosa, getting that weird knockout of Shane Burgos in round number three, clips him, all right, Shane's still standing, still standing, and Shane just falls, runs, like, is, hobbles back to the cage, hits it, falls down, and Edson just hammers away on him. Wild KO. Boring fight between Chukagin and Vivian Arujo. 
uh, Bontrain, Matt Schnell, a snoozer, Benil Dariush, and Tony Ferguson, a snoozer, and then one of the most rewatchable five minutes and 19 seconds as Charles Oliveira has a wild first round against Michael Chandler, almost gets finished, comes back right away in round two, drops Chandler, fouls him up, drops him again, and Charles Oliveira became the new UFC lightweight champion. I remember I had my picks as Chandler and uh, Benil Dariush, and I switched them to Oliveira and Ferguson. Um, that was back when I still had faith in Tony Ferguson, but Charles Oliveira came through for me, and I've been a fan of that boy ever since. I've always wanted to dye my hair blonde. I've always, I've always wanted to bleach my hair blonde for that boy. Absolutely love it. UFC Fight Night Font and Garbrandt, absolute snoozer. Um, anything notable on here? I mean, this was this was Cody Garbrandt just getting outclassed by Rob Font. Both guys are kind of in the dumps. It's pretty crazy. Carlos Sparza TKO'd Jan Chaonin on this card. I still can't believe that. Jack Hermanson beat Edmund Shabazian on this card. Ben Rothwell got a round one, round two guillotine choke of Chris Barnett. I find that very odd. Uh, Demiris Magulov was still in the UFC at the time. Don't forget. June 5th, I remember this was actually my current roommate's grad party. And uh, it was Rosenstruck versus Sakai. And I remember I literally was watching this on my phone, actually. I think I went home to finish it. Um, on the prelims, Man Fiorat defeating Tabitha Ritchie by TKO. Interesting enough. Um, but the, uh, you had Santango Ponzanibio getting a win, Roman Dolodizze getting a win, Marcin Tabira TKOing Walt Harris, and the main event, Jarsinger Rosenstruck dropping Augusto Sakai with a second left to win. Yeah, the downfall of Augusto Sakai, pretty brutal. UFC 263, um, I believe I watched this in my living room. So much promise for this event, but nothing much, nothing really much happened. You had Terrence McKinney debuting in here, knocking out Matt Frivola in seven seconds. That is probably the fastest knockout I've ever seen live. Pretty, pretty wild. Most for Evloff remaining undefeated on here. Lauren Murphy getting a win. Brad Riddell Drew Dober putting on a fight of the night. You had Paul Craig breaking Jamal Hill's arm and then TKOing him. Paul Craig, the, you know, the only man to beat Magomed Ankalaev and Jamal Hill, who are probably fighting for the belt next, is pretty crazy to me. Paul Craig, submission expert. He's beaten everyone. I feel like he's lost everyone. Blah Muhammad would retire Damian Maya with this fight in an absolute snooze fest. Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz would put on one of the most uh, forgettable fights of all time, except for the final minute where Nate Diaz almost knocked out your current champion, Leon Edwards, which is aged as just Nate Diaz is a badass. Brandon Moreno would then be defeat Devis and Figueredo in their rematch, which I absolutely loved. Then the main event is Rola Sanya and Marvin Vittori, an absolute snooze fest. One of Adesanya's forgettable performances. <laughs> Then, June 19th, we had the Korean Zombie's final win in the UFC when he beat Danny Gay in the main event by unanimous decision. Also on here, had Marlon Vera getting a win. You had Matt Brown knocking Diego Oliva out cold. That was pretty interesting. Uh, that's it. That's it. But shout out to Chan Sung Jung getting his final win, June 2021. Another event that went down, I believe this was midday because I was waiting to go somewhere. This was gone. Cyril Gaon versus Alexander Volkov. In the main event, um, actually, actually, Volkov's a former Bellator ch heavyweight champion. I, that's so weird he fought in Bellator. Uh, Cyril Gaon outclassed him through all five rounds, won every single round. Unbelievable. Uh, Tanner Brozer would get his final UFC win against Ovin St. Prue. Interesting enough. Hanato Maikano, who we'll mention later in the, in the episode, uh, submitted Jai Herbert. Interesting enough. Shavkat Ragmanov, his second UFC appearance out here. Uh, if only I knew how good Shavkat would be. And then July 10th, the same day as my graduation party, Dustin Poirier, Car McGregor 3. Oh my gosh, I was so hyped for this card. Actually, interesting enough, um, Duplessis was supposed to take on Trevin Giles in this event. 
Sean Brady and Kevin Lee were supposed to fight on this event. Sean O'Malley and Louis Smoka were supposed to fight on this event, and all those fights got canceled. Prelims, you had Brad Tavares, I'm pretty sure getting his final UFC win. Jennifer Maya getting a win. Oh, Duplessis did fight Trevor Giles on here. I think this fight was moved to here. Iatopira beat Ryan Hall. How about Iatopira and Jessica Duplessis? Who could. Jessica Duplessis found the prelims here. Currently, your champion, Iatopira, in less than two weeks, should be your new, new champion for Featherweight. Michelle Pajera beat Nico Price. And Max Griffin beat Carlos Condit. Main card gets kicked off. I remember watching this in the basement with all of my like my, my cousins there, my girlfriend, all my buddies. It was a wild assortment of people. And Sean Malley just turning Chris Mutani's face into an absolute just bloody mess. I then watched Irene Aldana, TKO Jan Kunitskaya. I then watched Tai Tuivasa knock out Greg Hardy in shocking fashion. Gilbert Burns and Steven Thompson was so depressing. Wonder Boy, Wonder Boy, the only the fact that Wonder Boy can beat anyone standing, but grappling is his weakness, is hilarious to me. And then Conor McGregor breaking his freaking ankle against Dustin Poirier. I still cannot believe that happened. Unreal, unreal. Islam Makachev versus Tiago Moises. I believe I was at working at was I working at a, I was working at Menards at the time, so I must have watched this afterwards. Jared Rodriguez was supposed to headline this event versus Max Holloway, but that was moved to a different week. Instead, Islam Makachev would submit Tiago Moises in round number two. Misha Tate would get a TKO win. Matus Gamrot would uh, hit Jeremy Stevens with a Kimura. Cool. Mandalimos got TKO on here. Yeah. Islam Makachev's rise to the top. Very impressive to see. Oh boy, here it is, July 24th, the biggest robbery I've ever seen. Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. I have no idea how TJ Dillashaw won this fight. Corey Sanhagen should have won that, and it altered history pretty, pretty well. But everything's working out now, as it looks like Sanhagen's going to get his tail shot. Brendan Allen got a win on the prelims. Nazanimovov, the man in the main event this weekend, he got a win on the prelims. But I remember this more as TJ Dillashaw, unrightfully winning. Unreal, unreal. Uh, July 31st, we actually had Sean Strickland in his first UFC main event fighting Uriah Hall. And there's many times throughout this fight that I thought Sean Strickland could have finished Uriah Hall. He never did. Um, oddly enough, the co-main event was Cheyenne Bays defeating Gloria De Paula. Um, no idea how that ended up being the co-main event, but Cheyenne Bays had a nasty head kick knockout. Oh my gosh, absolutely brutal. Um, anything else on this card? No, not so ever. Sean Strickland, always fun to watch. I believe I watched this in my living room. Ah, uh, yes, UFC 265. I watched this with my cousins, Ryan and Kevin. Uh, this was a fun one. On the prelims, Mel Cape getting a round one flying knee knockout. Half Elf is Eve defeating Bobby Green. My name is Sijim. Main card kicks off. Song Dong defeats Casey Kenny. I predicted it. Tisha Torres defeats Angela Kill. Hill did not predict that. Vicente Luque submitting Michael Chiesa by Darce Joko. Oh, I'd love to see that. Then Jose Aldo defeating Pedro Munoz. And my cousin Ryan would have gone 5-0, but he changed his pick from Shogun to Derek Lewis. And I watched Derek Lewis freeze up in front of his hometown of Houston as Shogun became your, became your interim heavyweight champion. Always been a Shogun fan. Pretty sure I've picked him in every fight he's been in except an Ngannou fight. I'm pretty sure. I haven't picked him against John Jones. Pretty interesting enough. Following that, we uh, this was actually the final event I thought I was ever going to watch at my house. I was so dramatic. Uh, final event before my freshman year of college uh, began. Jerry Canier versus Calvin Gastelum. I think I watched this at my girlfriend's house. Nothing, nothing notable happened on here. Alex Pinto uh, submitted Brandon Royval. There's something notable for you. But Cannonier just beat Gastelum three of the three of the five rounds. Pretty boring. 
Then the first ever event I watched at uh, my college dorm at San Barbosa for Giga Chikadze. I actually watched this before going to hang out with all my boys, I'm pretty sure. Um, you know, I thought Edson would win, but Giga kicked his butt. Pretty impressive. You also had your Ultimate Fighter finales with Brian Battle winning and Ricky Tercios winning, interesting enough. Kevin Lee losing to Daniel Rodriguez. Andre Petrovsky winning. Yeah, nothing. Nothing happened on here. Giga Chikadze's rise to the top began, I don't know. Ooh, there we go, September 4th. I absolutely love this card. It was at the Apex, but it was United Kingdom-themed um, as Derek Brunson submitted Darren Till in round number three, which I predicted. You also had Tom Aspinall defeating Sergey Spivak, which I predicted. Alex Bruno defeating David Zavala, which I predicted. Clear Roundtree Jr. Sh- just destroying Modesto Spikakis' leg, which I predicted. And I went 5-0 and on the main card as Patty Pimblett made his UFC debut and won in round number one. The, the fight of the night was Molly McCann and G on Kim. That's so random. That is just so weird to me. Um, I actually have this like bookmarked in my Safari notes, so whenever I search up UFC stats, this event pops up. I have no idea how to change that. Keeping our Apex events rolling, you had Anthony Smith and Ryan Spann. Um, I don't really know. Anthony Smith humbled Ryan Spann, submitting him in round number one. I think Kulaba won it here. Armin Sarukian got a round one TKO of Christos Giagos. Very impressive. Joaquin Buckley got a round three KO over Antonio Rojo. And then uh, advocate for him to keep him on in the UFC. That ended up not happening. Aaron Blanchfield won on the prelims. Hockwell Pennington won on the prelims. I have nothing else. UFC 266. Oh, man, this was a blast. I loved watching UFC 266. Watched in my dorm room alone. And I had a beer for every fight I predicted uh, wrong. And oddly enough, I feel like I drank a lot at this. Or no, I didn't drink a lot. I predicted a decent amount correctly. Um, I mean, this was an amazing card. By the way, Matthew Selmsberger knocked out Martin Snow Jr. in 15 seconds. That's his UFC highlight right there. Nick Maximoff got a win on here. Jalen Turner, round one submission of Euros Medich. Interesting enough. Talia Santos would win on this card. Marab Shelley would fight. Oh my gosh, Marab Shelley. And, oh my gosh, Marlon Marais, that is one of the wildest comebacks I've ever seen. Marlon Marais almost knocked out Marab in round number one, came back to get brutalized. Main card, Jessica Andrade, pieces up Cynthia Cavillo in round number one. Curtis Blades puts on a snooze fest against Sergio Rosestruck. Robbie Lawler and Nick Diaz, just watching Nick Diaz in that octagon was so sad to see. It's absolutely, um, just so sad to see. He did not belong in there. Valentina Shevchenko then bullied Lauren Murphy for 19 minutes and then with a minute left in round four decided oh wait I can just finish her and just beat her silly the ref was kind of like okay just knock that off so that was a snooze fest but then the main event the fight of the night Alexander Volkanovsky Brown are taking one of the wildest fights I've watched live it's so weird you see a one side fight where Volkanovsky is clearly winning but it's so entertaining there was twice there was a guillotine choke by a Brian Ortega in top out and then a triangle choke where I thought Ortega was going to win. But Volkanovski proved he's the greatest featherweight of all time by surviving it. Absolutely amazing. Um, October 2nd, you then had Tiago Santos, Johnny Walker. I actually remember I was at a hibachi. Is that what that's called? And they like cooked the food right in front of you on like a square table. I remember I kept watching this on my phone and this was one of the worst cards ever. This, this is actually one of the worst cards ever. I mean... There's no highlights here. Alexander Hernandez knocking out Mike Breeden in round one. That's the highlight. You had uh, Kevin Allen and Kyle Dawkins clashing heads. You had Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker doing nothing for five rounds. Absolutely embarrassment to the UFC. October 9th, another Apex card. Wow, there's actually a lot of terrible events in 2021. The, the uh, What is it? The pay-per-views were the best part. Marina Rodriguez defeating Mackenzie Dern in the main event. 
That's the only highlight I can pull from this. Actually, nothing there. Oh, another snoozer, October 16th, Aspen Lad, Norma Dumont. This is one of the worst cards ever as well. You did have Jim Miller knock out Eric Gonzalez. That was pretty cool. Man, if you're out defeating Marabuena Silva, pretty wild to see where they're both at right now. And Nate Landwehr getting a win. How about that? October 23rd, Paulo Costa versus Marvin Vittori. It was actually a pretty good fight. Pretty even fight. Uh, I was a Marvin Vittori, big Marvin Vittori fan at the time, so I was happy to see him win. But, um, yeah, other than that, nothing, nothing much. Gregory Rodriguez got a performance bonus for knocking out Jung Young Park in round number two. That's all I can give you there. Then, the best stretch in UFC history, back-to-back pay-per-views, back-to-back bangers. UFC 267, headlined by Hamlovic and Glover Teixeira. And, oh my goodness, I absolutely loved, absolutely loved this card. I was actually 5-0 and on my picks. Before Jan Blachowicz lost. On the prelims, interesting enough, I mean, you had Andre Pachowski getting a win. Leroy Murphy, after getting out grappled by Macron Americani brutally in round one, knocks him out with a knee 14 seconds in round number two. So cool. Benoit Saint Denis up at 170, fought Alicio Zalesquito Santos, ultimately lost that, but showed so much heart. Uh, main card gets kicked off. Magomed Ankalaev beats Volkan Ozmir. Pretty boring. Hamzat Shamayev mauls Lee Jinglong in round number one. His last, probably his last and one of his best performances ever. Um, our last best performance. Not, not the last time we'll see Hamzat. Volkov would piece up Tiberia for the three rounds. Islam Makachev would just destroy Dan Hooker. Piotr Jan and Corey Sanhagen would put on a, did that win by the night? It did as it should have. And then Glover Teixeira became the oldest man to win. Uh, belt, I'm pretty sure, when he beat Jan Blachowicz. Entertaining enough. Following week, remember I got COVID. I was in my basement alone watching this, and this was an absolutely amazing card. Absolutely loved UFC 268. I mean, on the prelims, you had the early prelims, you had Ian Gary debuting, getting a round one knockout. Prelims kick off. Your man, the main event. We're going to mention this fight later. Nazardine Imavov finishing Edmund Shabazian in round number two. Chris Curtis knocking out Phil Haas. Bobby Green knocking out Ali Kinta. And Alex Pajera, after getting out grappled in round one, knocking out Andreas Machaldas with a flying knee. So entertaining. Main card kicks off and five straight. For, for having four of four decisions on the main card, I was entertained the whole time. Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler put on one of the greatest fights in UFC history. Top 10, I bet, for round three fights at least. Um, Shane Burgos and Billy Corntiller do the exact same. An absolute banger of a fight. Marlon Vera then knocks Frankie Edgar out with a front kick, face-planting him in round number three in the third fight of the evening. Rose Namajunas and Zhang Weili will engage in such a competitive fight, a split decision going to Rose Namajunas, and the main event, Usman and Covington, damn near topped their first fight in what was just an such an exciting event. 267 and 268, love those two pay-per-views. Heading on into November, Max Holloway, Yair Rodriguez, another good main event, honestly. Uh, Yair putting up a fight, managed to win uh, two rounds on two judges' scorecards. Other than that, nothing too entertaining. Sang Dong got a nice TKO over Julio Arce. Joel Alvarez finished Tiago Moises in round one. Yeah, that's all I really got. November 20th, oh my gosh, Kellen Vera, Misha Tate. Don't even want to talk about the snooze fest that that was. Oh my goodness. Sean Brady did beat Michael Chiesa in the co-main event, which was interesting to see. I thought Michael Chiesa would have won that, actually. Um, wow, there was one finish on that card, and it was Talia Santos submitting Joanne Wood in round number one. Actually got a title shot off that win, actually. Heading into our uh, December, we had three more events for the year. Uh, we kicked off with Rob Font 
Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo winning uh, all five rounds in the main event. Rafael Faziv would uh, beat Brad Riddell in the co-main event with a spinning wheel kick in round number three. Jamal Hill would knock Jimmy Crude out cold in 48 seconds. Uh, Clay, Clay Guido would get a submission. Chris Curtis would TKO Brendan Allen. It's so crazy how where their careers have gone since then. Um, and Manel Cape would get his second UFC finish on the prelims against Zalaga Sumalagov. UFC 269 was next, and I watched this with my girlfriend, and I was going absolutely nuts. So whenever some certain fights come on, I just get glued to the TV. This was one of them. On the prelims, I mean, Aaron Blanchfield got a win. Andre Munez got another armbar win. Taichi Vasa finished uh, Augusto Sakai, which is pretty cool. Dominic Cruz had a close fight against Pedro Munoz. Josh Emmett beat, defeated Dan Ige in a close fight. Main card kicks off Sean O'Malley. Finishes Riley Python round number one. So awesome. Kai Carfrance then brutalized Cody Garbrandt. Jeff Neal and Santiago Ponsivo put on a sleeper. Then Julia Pena pulled off one of the biggest, if not the biggest upset in UFC history when she submitted Amanda Nunes to win the Women's Bantamweight Championship in round number two. The shock factor from that. The shock factor from that was insane. And you want to know the craziest thing? Israel Adesanya's dad on Verdict MMA predicted it. What are the odds of that? Main event, Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier. I watched Charles lose round one. I was getting nervous. It was still close, though. Comes back in round number two, uses his grappling to just brutalize Dustin Poirier and just walks straight out for round three, takes his back, submits him, and I was so happy. Everyone doubted Oliveira here, and the fact it was over, Dustin Poirier made it so much sweeter. Final event of 2021. I was actually in Florida to watch this. It was a... It wasn't even like the end of the night. We were just uh, was watching with all my cousins and stuff upstairs in our little room. And uh, Derek Lewis knocked out Chris Dawkins in round number one. Just sent him out cold. For, that was the best moment of the night. Blah Muhammad beat Wonderboy Thompson in a depressing fight where he just grappled him. Uh, Ricky Simone actually retired Rafael Sunsay with a brutal, brutal KO. Um, Matus Gamrot submitted or actually TKO'd Diego Perro with uh, knees to the body. You rarely see that. And Justin Taffa. KO'd Harry Hunsucker. That was a fun moment. 2021 had its moments, you know, but a lot of doozies looking back on. 2021 was definitely not the best year, actually. I feel like 2020 was more entertaining, if you ask me. But a lot, a lot of good title fights, um, some bad ones, some good ones. Favorite moment of the year, probably whenever Charles Oliveira was on screen, which was twice, twice on and just never disappointed. Absolutely love it. UFC in 2021, looking back on it, I think I'm actually going to leave you in the past. Unfortunately, that's where you'll stay. But no more about the past. Let's look to the future, as this weekend we have a new UFC event. That's right, UFC Vegas 85, headlined by Roman Dolodize and Nazardine Imovov goes down this Saturday night. Um, Roman's ranked number 8 at middleweight, and Nazardine's ranked number 11. The winner will probably stay at the number 8 position, or in Nazardine's case, he could rise up the rankings. We have, at the moment, before the weigh-ins, 13. Fights on the card. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into previewing every fight on UFC Vegas 85. Kicking off the card, we have a heavyweight matchup between Thomas the Train Peterson and Jamal Pogues. Thomas, 8-1 professional record. Jamal, 10-4. 6-3 to 6-1 in favor of Jamal Pogues. Jamal also has a 3-inch reach advantage, 77-74. to Thomas Peterson fights in the southpaw stance. Jamal fights 
Orthodox. Both men are 28 years old. Thomas Pearson is a wrestler. Um, he's actually from Farmington, Minnesota. Trains in Minnesota, which I absolutely love. Minnesota boy myself. Of his eight victories, seven by knockout, one by submission. That one by submission was actually on Dana White's Contender Series when he finished Chandler Cole in round number two back in August. Currently on a three-fight win streak. His only loss is actually to uh, UFC fighter Waldo Cortez Acosta, which I find is a fun fact. Thomas Pearson, in his one appearance on Day One's Contender Series, uses grappling to finally set up a um, submission. But, I mean, besides that, seven knockouts, 100% finish rate. I absolutely love to see it. Jamal Pogues uh, from California actually trains at Syndicate MMA, same gym as notable UFC light heavyweight Khalil Roundtree Jr. Of his 10 victories, four by knockout, one by sub, he won on season three of Dana White's Contender Series back in 2019, but was not given a contract. He would come back in season six in 2022 and get another unanimous decision win and would indeed get a contract. He would make his debut against Josh Parzians um, on uh, February 18th of last year, getting a win, but would drop um, a loss to Mick Parkin, who we mentioned earlier. He's fighting Mohamed Usman. March 23rd, um, but Mick uh, Parkin beat Jamal Pokes to give him his uh, fourth professional loss. Back in July, both men are back, but when I look at this fight, I mean, first off, bias. Give me Thomas Peterson because he's a Minnesota boy. I mean, come on. I cannot pick against any boy from Minnesota. John Costanda, he's from Minnesota. I always ride with him. But what am I going to predict will happen? I'm going to say we get a round two TKO from Thomas Peterson. I think he uses his grappling, gets a little ground and pound action going, and we get our first finish of the night with Thomas the Train Peterson. I, I can't bet against him. I can't. I can't bet against any of my Minnesota boys, and I only know of two. Actually, Brock Lesnar. I always root for Brock Lesnar, even though he's not in the UFC. Next up on the prelims, Landon the Lone Wolf Kionez takes on Marquel Medeiros in the UFC lightweight division, 155. Landon Kionez is 7-2-1. Marquel is 8-1. 5-10 to 5-9 gives Marquel a one-inch height advantage, and Landon Kionez has a one-inch reach advantage, 70-69. Southpaw stands for Landon, uh, orthodox for Marquel Medeiros. Let's start off with Markel Medeiros, 27 years old. He's, um, where's he from? Colorado, actually. I don't know why I thought he was from, like, Brazil or something. Trains at Factory X Muay Thai, same gym as Anthony Smith, Dustin Jacoby, Brandon Rival, notable uh, UFC fighters, or the ranked ones. Of his eight victories, six are by knockout, and he's actually on a six-fight win streak. Got a huge round one knockout on the final episode of Dan West Contender Series last season, back in October. And yeah, since then, waiting to get a fight booked. Finally gets one booked against Landon Kionez, who was on the Ultimate Fighter of this past uh, past Ultimate Fighter season, did lose. Um, the 28-year-old is from Florida, and of his seven victories, five by knockout, one by sub. He did step in to fight Nazareth Hakpasarat in um, Australia back in September at UFC 293. He came up short in that, but did land 148 significant strikes. Look, Landon, I'm sure you're super good. You didn't press me on Dan White's contenders. Uh, not the contenders, but on the Ultimate Fighter. But give me Marquel Medeiros, you know, I just got a good feeling about him. I will say 
that for this fight like this, I am leaning by unanimous decision. So we are going to say a decision, a decision anyway, just because I don't want to get carried away with all of my uh, finishes, you know, submissions, TKOs, and stuff like that. So we'll say a decision win for Marquel Medeiros, um, simply because he's coming off a knockout and he's an inch tall. I don't really know what these prelim fights Keeping us a rolling, we move on to the women's flyweight division as Luiana Dread Carolina takes on Julia Stolyarenko. Luiana is nine and four professionally. Julia eleven eight and two. One inch height advantage for Julia five seven five six. Uh, but Luiana holds a three inch reach advantage sixty nine to sixty six. Julija Julija Storyalenko, 30 years old, is from Lithuania. She actually holds 10 submission wins to her name of her 11 victories. Um, there actually are some fun facts about her. Uh, she is one of three females in UFC history to compete in three weight classes, those being bantamweight, strawweight, and flyweight, uh, unless she fought at—actually, she might have fought at featherweight. I think that was the other weight class. Um, Jessica Andrade and Valerie Letourneau also accomplished that feat. Storyalenko's 42-second win at UFC 276 marked the second-fastest submission in UFC women's bantamweight history behind Ronda Rousey's 14-second stoppage over Kat Zingano at UFC 184 in February of 2015. Julija, been in the UFC since 2018. I mean, it hasn't been pretty. It hasn't been pretty. She's 2-5, and, two and five, but I mean, her two wins were arm bars, and she's coming off an arm bar over Molly McCann in what was a huge upset before that, she had been TKO'd by Chelsea Chandler, which is not a good sign because Chelsea Chandler is not good. Her two submission wins are very impressive, though, so I'll give Julija that. Luiana Carolina, 30 years old, from Sao Paulo, Brazil, of her nine victories, one by submission, two by knockout. Now, she is 4-3 and three in the UFC, one on season one of Dana White's Contender Series, the Brazil edition. Debuted and beat Priscilla Cachoeira, then got knee-barred by Ariane Lipsky. Would win two decision wins over Poliana Botello and Lupi Godinez. Good win over Lupi in 2021. But then we get spinning back elbowed by Molly McCann in London in 2022. Lose a close split decision to Joanne Wood. And since July of this past year, she did beat Ivana Petrovich, which I did not see coming. So as much as I love Julija, I just don't think she is good striking. So I think if Luiana can keep this on the feet, and she'll become victorious. So we're going to give Luiana Carolina. Should we should we give her a TKO win here? I'm going to give Luiana Carolina. I'm feeling generous. She hasn't gotten a finish in the, well, she hasn't gotten a finish in the UFC. So pretty ballsy with this one. But we're going to say a round one knockout. Just to be, just to be special. Just to be spontaneous, if you will. But uh, I don't, there's really no stipulations for this fight. Actually, either women, if they lose, they could go home. So maybe that's the stipulation. Keeping us a rolling, we move to a featherweight bout between Ji Young, Korean Tiger Lee, and Blake L. Animal Builder. I love the nicknames, gentlemen. I love it. Ji Young Lee is 10 and 1, Blake Builder 8 1 and 1. 5'10 to 5'8 gives uh, Ji Young Lee the height advantage. 73 to 68, a 5 inch reach gives Ji Young Lee also the reach advantage. Orthodox stance for Ji Young, switch stance for Blake Builder. Blake Builder, El Animal, if you will, 33 years old. He's from California of his eight victories, one by knockout, four by submission. Came in um, on season six of Dan White's Contender Series, getting a round one submission of Alexander Morgan. Would debut in February of last year, submitting, uh, not submitting, beating Shane Young in round, uh, by decision. Wow, didn't get a finish, huh? 
His last fight out, um, UFC 289 in June, he would lose a unanimous decision to Kyle Nelson. Well, it's kind of a snoozer. But um, I actually did see a clip of Big Builder fighting someone on, uh, like, internet who was calling him out. And he literally hit him with a couple shots and knocked him out cold. It was pretty entertaining, I won't lie. Unfortunately for Blake, he's not fighting a random Twitter bot. No, he's fighting the Korean Tiger, Ji Young Lee, the 28-year-old, is from South Korea. Four KOs and three subs make up his 10 victories, and he's currently on a seven-fight win streak. Fun fact, he actually won the Road to the UFC um, back in the 2022 edition of it, Season 1, um, submitting Zai Bin in round number one and then knocking out Liu Kai in 42 seconds. Wow, he, two sub 45-second finishes. Wow. His UFC debut against Yizha on uh, February in 2023 was not too easy. Did uh, win that by split decision, but he's back. He's here to take over, and you bet your butt I'm going with Ji Young Lee. Come on, the Korean Tiger. I freaking love that nickname, brother. Um, as for Blake, you know, losing to Kyle Nelson's kind of brutal. However, I do think Blake Builder is talented. I don't really see him losing. You know, Blake's not really known for anything in particular, and neither is Ji Young Lee. So I'll say another decision win. A decision win for Ji Young Lee, but it could be entertaining. I hope it's entertaining. I stand corrected. I really hope that's entertaining. I want all the fights to be good. Keeping our prelims a roll, and we move to the welterweight division where Themba the Answer Go Rimbo takes on Pete Dead Game Rodriguez. Some of these nicknames are not cool. Korean Tiger, LMNL, those are cool. The Answer, Dead Game. Dead Game's bad. The Answer isn't bad. Dead Game is bad. Themba is 11-4 and four professionally. Pete Rodriguez, 5-1. and one. Wow, only six fights for dead game. 6-1 to 5-9. Oh, by the way, um, for that Jiang pick, the reach is one of the main factors when I'm choosing him over Blake Builder. Uh, Themba Garimbo boosts a 6-inch reach advantage, 77-71, uh, and a, what is this, 4-inch height advantage, 6-1 to 5-9. So Themba does have some size on Pete Rodriguez. We'll actually start with Themba Garimba, who is most notable for The Rock, giving him a house in Las Vegas, which is pretty pretty interesting, pretty kind of The Rock to do. Uh, Themba has all his goals written on a piece of paper. He was like sleeping in the gym he was at. The Rock can be a stand-up guy at times. Themba is 33 years old from South Africa. One KO and six subs make up his 11 victories. And he actually trains at MMA Masters, same gym as Colby Covington and Ia Topura. Themba did lose his UFC debut in February to A.J. Fletcher a year ago, that was, getting submitted in round number two. But he bounced back in May with unanimous decision, dominating win over Takashi Sato. So Themba is coming off a win, which is very nice to see. His opponent, Pete Rodriguez, the 27-year-old, is from Arizona and actually trains at the MMA lab, same gym as Benson Henderson and Alex Caceres. Five KOs give him a 100% finish rate, and those are all of his wins. His only loss is a round one knockout loss to Jack Della Malena, which isn't too bad. Now, I will say his one UFC win back in October of 2022 over Mike Jackson wasn't the most impressive, judging that Mike Jackson sucks. So uh, for that reason, you know, Themagarimba, he can strike, he can, how do I put it? he can grapple. I'm going to give this one to Themagarimbo. I mean, the height and reach really help. And I also feel like someone like him, the UFC would kind of want to push. They might be a bit more lenient towards him. So I'm going to say, say Themagarimbo by round three submission. I think he, I think he toys with Pete a bit. I think he, I think he toys around with Pete a bit, but who knows? We'll see. Moving into the flyweight division, we have a matchup between the undefeated Azat Kazak Maksum. His name's Azat Maksum, the Kazak. I don't know if that comes before or after, during his name. His nickname's Kazak. 
And Charles Energy Johnson. Huh. How fun, Charles. What a fun nickname. Azat is 17 and 0. Charles Johnson is 13 and 6. Two inches in height for Charles, 5'9 to 5'7. And same reach. Southpaw stands for Azat. Switch stands for Charles. That reach is 70, by the way. 70 inches for the boys. Charles Johnson, energy, been in the UFC since 2022. 33-year-old is from St. Louis, Missouri. Five KOs and four subs give him nine of 13 finishes for his 13 wins. Um, his three-fight losing skid is the longest of his career. He hasn't earned a victory since January of 2023, when one in three of his four fights in 2023. Um, he does land at a 57.2% of his significant strike attempts um, against his fellow UFC flyweight competition, which is actually the second best rate in divisional history behind CJ Vergara. Huh. Very interesting. Charles came on to the UFC um, in July of 2022, losing to Muhammad Mokayev, who took him down 12 times. He followed it up with a split decision win over Zalagas Lumalagov and then a round one TKO of Jimmy Flick. But after that, took on Ode Osborne, lost by split decision, took on Cody Durden, got taken down 11 times to a unanimous decision loss. And last time out in November, lost to Rafael Estevam. So, Charles, it's been a rough going for you. Three fights good, you know, but there's certain fights like these where he, this is usually where the down fighter wins. But we'll see as he takes on Azat Maxum, who is 17-0. As I said, the 28-year-old is from Kazakhstan. Five KOs and six subs give him 11 of his 17 wins by submission. Um, he was actually supposed to, supposed to fight Nate Manis on this card, but Nate Manis pulled out with an injury, so in steps Charles Johnson. Azek's first fight in the UFC was in, when was this, uh, July of last year? Yeah, July 15th. Beat Tyson Nam by split decision. And this was a very interesting fight, as when you kind of look at it, you know, Maxum got outstruck 81-46, to went 2 of 11 on takedowns, and at the end of the day, Tyson probably should have won due to his striking, but I'm sure the record helped, I'm sure no one really caring about this fight at the time helped, but I... Mm, Here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. As I look at, I look at Ax, Mac, Ac, Ma, Zat Maxum. Gosh, if I can pronounce his name for the life of me, and I look how he performed against Tyson Nam. Then I looked at, I look at Charles Johnson. Three fight losing streak is clearly meant to lose. But the thing is, Charles Johnson's weakness is his grappling. And of his one, two, three, four, five, six of his six UFC of fights he's had, oh my gosh, he's actually been taken down thirty two times. So, actually, due to that, I am going to give Azat Maxum the victory. We'll, uh, we're we're going to say, we'll say decision. We're going to say another decision. I don't know if I'm too confident that he'll get a finish, but I was leaning Charles Johnson potentially, but after just seeing how many times he's been taken down, I mean, you might not be UFC material. I'm sorry to tell you. I'm sorry. I hate, I hate to be that guy. I really do, but... You might not be cut out for this old UFC thing. Um, didn't I have, uh, actually, I'm a little confused. I thought I had fun facts for Molly McCann, but I don't think I do. Molly McCann fights Deanna Belbita in our next prelim fight. Is it our final prelim fight? Actually, let me check what the official main card is on Verdict MMA. We do have a six-fight main card, so your feature prelim is Molly McCann and Diana Bell Bita. You know, I thought I had some fun facts, but I guess I don't. Do we really need fun facts for Molly McCann? I, I don't really think so. 
I don't really think so. I, it, it, that, I don't even, oh, we didn't. We didn't even. Oh, we were supposed to have fun facts. It doesn't even matter if I have fun facts for her. Let's talk about this woman's straw weight bout. Molly McCann, Molly Meatball McCann, 13 and 6 record. Diana Belbita. Diana the Warrior Princess Belbita, that is. 15 and 8 record. 3 inches a night for Diana, 5754. 6 inches in reach, 68 to 62 in favor of Belbita, too. Both women fighting orthodox stance. Molly McCann. Of course, buddies with Patty Pimblett, as we all know. Um, it's been an interesting run for her. The 33-year-old from Liverpool, England, has six KOs of her 13 victories. All three of her uh, three of her six losses are by submission. She's never been knocked out. She's on a two-fight losing streak. Um, both she hasn't won since July of 2022. Her last two fights, she's been submitted in round number one. Molly's been around since 2018 and always appears grappling. her weakness. Losses to Jillian Robertson, Talia Santos, Lara Procinio, Aaron Blanchard, Julia we just talked about. But uh, she does hold uh, two, she actually had back-to-back spinning elbow um, performance in the night. Uh, knockouts over Louisiana Carolina and Hannah Goldie, which are interesting. And fun fact, this is actually a rematch between Molly and Diana Belbita. Um, well, actually, well, actually, we'll talk about that. After we mentioned Diana Belbita, who is a kickboxer, 27 years old, from Romania, now uh, trains in Canada. Six KOs and four submissions make up her 15 victories. She has four losses by submission and has also never been TKO'd. She's actually been fighting since she was 17 years old. Can you believe that? Can you believe, can, were you fighting when you were 17 years old? That is, that is utterly insane. Incredible. She's been at this 10 years. Diana debuted against Molly McCann, losing that fight. Since then, got armbarred by Leanna Jojua, defeated Hannah Goldie by unanimous decision, lost to Gloria De Paula, beat Maria Oliveira. Last fought October of 2023, lost the unanimous decision to Carolina Kowalski. But let's look at their fight from five years ago. Wow. Back in 2014, Molly McCann destroyed her 30-25 across the board. Molly McCann had two... Wait, what? Molly McCann had two 10-8 rounds? I don't even know what rounds. Maybe rounds two and three? Uh, round two was pretty dominant, 50 total strikes to 23. Round three was pretty close. I have no idea how that first fight went. I guess by the looks of it, Molly McCann absolutely destroyed. But I don't know if I can pick Molly McCann, bro. She's done so bad. She got taken down on one attempt her last two fights. And lost. The only good thing for her is Diana Belbita is a striker. She does have a reach. Should we back Molly McCann? You know, this is on the prelims. We have nothing to know, nothing to lose from this. Yeah, but Diana Belbita has gone win loss, win loss. She is scheduled to get a win. Oh, this is a tough one. I love that I'm thinking about this more than I should, being that it, it literally holds no value. It holds no value because I, I could care less. If she wins or loses, I'm putting no money on her. Um, we will give this fight to, we're going to say Molly McCann. Well, eh, yeah, we'll go Molly McCann. We'll pick Molly McCann one last time. Why not? Why not give it, give her one last shot? Or we're giving a decision, you know, another decision here. I, I don't really know if she's going to win. It's kind of like as a, actually, you know what? She's 50-50. It beats me. We'll move on from this. We spent way too much time talking about this. But let's get into the main card where all of our predictions are official. We've got six fight main cards. We've got we've to be spot on with what we predict. Kicking us off, we got a welterweight bout between Gilbert, the RGV bad boy, Urbina, and Charles Chuck Buffalo Radke. 
boys, what are these nicknames? Oh my gosh. Gilbert Urbina, 7-3 and three record. Charles Radke, 8-3. 6-3 three. Three to 5-9 gives Gilbert Urbina a gigantic height advantage, despite only having a 3-inch reach advantage, 75-72. Both fighters fight orthodox. Uh, let's start with Gilbert. Gilbert Urbina. Um, one and one in the UFC, fought once in 2021, actually stepped in on short notice to fight Treshawn Gore, or took Treshawn Gore's place against Brian Battle in the season 29, season 28, uh, actually no, it was season 29 of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, he lost to Brian Battle, got submitted in round number two, but came back in May of last year, defeated Ori and Coach with a round two, uh, kick knockout. I mean, good for Gilbert Urbina. He's getting back at it. The 27 year old is from Texas, two KOs, two subs of his seven victories. He actually holds a loss to Sean Brady on the regional scene, which I find, probably find pretty funny. So, um, Gilbert, big height advantage could play an impact against Charles Chuck Buffalo Radke. Charles is 33 years old from Wisconsin. Three KOs and two subs of his eight victories. And he's on a five-fight win streak. He did beat Blood Diamond uh, in his UFC debut back in September in Australia. And I will say, judging by how good Blood Diamond's abilities are, and judging by, uh, you know, not being able to finish him, actually getting outstruck, Gilbert Urbina being significantly much better, I'm going to go with Gilbert Urbina round one knockout. That's right. We're getting ambitious to open the main card. Give me Gilbert Albina. You know, he's two KOs, two subs. I think Charles Radke's going to crack under the pressure. Maybe. Maybe. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Bout order to change, but as of right now, we have a middleweight bout as the second fight of our main card between Alishkabab, the Black Wolf Karizov, and Mahmoud Muradov. This one is going to be a certified banger. Alishkabab, 14-0, perfect undefeated. Mahmoud Muradov, 26-8. Wow, 34 professional fights. 6'2 to 5'9 gives Mahmoud a 5-inch height advantage, a 1-inch reach advantage for Mahmoud, too, 75-74. Orthodox stance for Mahmoud, southpaw for Alishkabab. Ooh, we can get some kicks set up. Alishkabab is 33 years old from Makachalav, Russia. Five KOs and four submissions make up his 14 victories. Of course, he is undefeated. Um, he returns to the competition for the first time since March of 2022, and he's actually fought just twice overall since March of 2018. That's ridiculous. Wow. Those two fights since 2018 have been a season four Daywitz Contender Series round on submission over Henrique Singumato. That was uh, in 2020. And then in March of 2022, he submitted Dennis Tallulan in round number two. Gosh. Gosh. Aliska Bob's been out of her a while now that I look at this. Oof. But his opponent, Mahmoud Muradov, I mean, he's been he's been getting after it. Uh, Mahmoud Muradov, 33 years old, was born in Tajikistan, but now lives and trains in the Czech Republic. 17 KOs and three subs. 20 of his 26 fights he has finished. Wow, Mahmoud. Wow, wow, wow. Um, Mahmoud Muradov lands at a 66.7% of his takedown attempts in UFC middleweight history, the highest rate in divisional history. Mm-hmm. Has Alishka Bob ever been taken down? No, but he's also fought two bums. Uh, Mahmoud Radoff, been in the UFC since 2019. Actually started his UFC runoff on a three-fight win streak. Wins over Alicio de Cherkio, finishes of Trevor Smith and Andrew Sanchez, both round three knockouts. Before losing to Gerald Mearshart in 2021 by rear naked chokehold. Would then drop one to Kyle Barallo before absolutely dominating Brian Barberino. Wow, that's pretty fascinating if you ask me. 
Um, but you know what? Uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling good about Alishka Bob Karizov. Give me, give me. I I just I have a thing for when fighters are undefeated. I always seem to pick them. Give me Alishka Bob Karizov. I ran into this issue with Vitor Petrino where I thought people would beat him and they never did. But give me uh, Alishka Bob Karizov with a round two submission. I think he gets the takedown, brings it to the mat, and proves he is still legit. But if Mock Move dominates him, that does not surprise me whatsoever at all. That would that would not be surprising at all. Next up, I think we have some ranked. I think we finally have some ranked fighters on the card. Yeah, we do. Next up, women's flyweight bout between Vivian Vivi Arujo and Natalie Silva. Natalie Silva is currently ranked number nine at women's flyweight. Vivian Arujo is ranked number seven. Ooh, very interesting. This uh, I'm actually a fan of Natalie Silva. If she's the one I've been thinking of, Vivian Arujo, twelve and five. Natalie Silva, sixteen five and one. Both women are five four. Three inch reach advantage for Vivian Arujo, sixty eight to sixty five. Orthodox stance for Vivian. Southpaw for Natalie, working out perfectly for the stances. Vivian Arujo, your number seven woman's flyweight, is thirty seven years old from Brazil. Three KOs and four subs make up her twelve victories overall. Vivian, been in the UFC since 2019, actually um, knocked out Talita Bernardardo in her first UFC fight, and since then has gone the distance for four, five straight years. Wow. Decision win to Alexa Davis, decision loss to Jessica I, decision wins over Montana De La Rosa and Roxanne Mordaffrey, lost to Caitlin Sermonara, that's Drew Kagan, by the way, uh, lost the win over Andrea Lee, actually lost to Alexa Grasso in 2022. Last year, lost Amanda Hemus, beat Jennifer Maya. Huh. Very boring from the 37-year-old. But as for Natalie Silva, oh, here's where it gets interesting. 26 years old from Brazil, five KOs and seven subs. She's on a 10-fight win streak. Of her five losses, one of those is actually to Marina Rodriguez, who is ranked below her in weight at at a straw weight, 115. And Maria Rodriguez is the number six girl there. Fun facts for both these ladies. Viviana Rujo's five decision victories in UFC Women's Flyweight competition are tied for second most in divisional history between, behind Caitlin Serenara, who has nine. Arujo's average fight time of 16 minutes and 7 seconds in UFC Women's Flyweight comp- competition is the third longest in divisional history be- behind Valentina Shevchenko and Alexa Grasso. As for Natalie Silver, our young gun, um, who's from Brazil, um, four five UFC winning streak at Women's Flyweight is the fourth longest active streak in the division behind Aaron Blanchfield at six, Manny Fiora at six, and Macy Barber at five. Silva's two knockdowns landed in UFC Women's Flyweight competition are tied for third most in divisional history behind Talia Santos at three and Ariel Lipsky at three. And uh, Natalie Silva is one of five fighters in UFC history to earn a knockout stemming from a spinning back kick to the head. Holy cow. She accomplished this feat at UFC Fight Night 215. Yeah, so Natalie Silva, been in the UFC since 2022, debuted and beat Jasmine Jassu Division. So she, her debut fight, she beat the number 15 woman's uh, flyweight. After that, of course, did knock out Teresa Blada with a spinning back kick, which she uh, Teresa ate to the face and was just out as she fell. Oh, my gosh. Followed up with a round one knockout of Victoria Leonardo. And in August of 2023, her last fight out, beat Andre Lee by unanimous decision. Natalie's back, looking to get it done. Vivian Arujo always goes the distance. She's 37. Natalie's 26. Natalie's a killer. Natalie Silva, unanimous decision victory for her. I'm just going to move into the top 10 Top five almost for Natalie Silva. I'm very confident in her abilities, and I'm very much excited to see her compete, see her fight. 
very much love watching Natalie Silva fight. Her and um, is Natalie Silva and who's the other woman? Kareen Silva. Two Silva killers, not related even. Moving on to men's welterweight, we have a fight between Randy Rudeboy Brown and Muslim King of Kung Fu Salikov. How fun. <laughs> How fun of a fight. Randy Brown is 17 and 5 professionally. Muslim Salikov is 19 and 4. 6 3 to 5 11 gives Randy a 4 inch height advantage and an 8 inch reach advantage, 78 to 70. Both fighters stand orthodox. Wow. Rude boy Randy Brown um, is 33 years old from New York of his 17 victories, 6 by KO and 5 by sub. That 8 inch reach advantage is sealing the deal for me. I mean, Randy's been around a long time in the UFC, dating back to 2016. Um, he's actually holds losses to Bilal Muhammad, Nico Price, Vicente Luque, Jack Della Maddalena. Um, but he does hold wins, including the last time out in June over Wellington Terman. He's beaten Chaos Williams. He submitted Alex Oliveira, submitted Walray Alvarez, knocked out Brian Barberina, beaten Mickey Gall. I mean, he he's he's a staple of the unranked welterweights in the division. He's 33 years old. But his opponent, Muslim King of Kung Fu Salikov, is 39 years old. He's from Russia, 12 KOs and 3 subs, make up his 19 victories. One fight in 2023, lost a unanimous decision in June to Nicholas Dalby. He's been around since 2017, though. At one point, was on a five-fight win streak before getting TKO'd by Ling Jing Liang in 2022. We'll follow that up in November of 2022 with a round three knockout of Andre Fialo, but did lose last time out to Nicholas Dalby. Randy Brown got the height, got the reach. The reach is really reaching out to me, if you like my pun there. And plus, Muslim's 39. Give me Randy Brown by a decision. I, I don't think he's going to finish him. Maybe he could with a submission, but I'm going to go decision to take the uh, take the safe route, if you will. I'm going to take the safe route. Alrighty, let's get into our co-main event because I'm absolutely pumped for the co-main event, maybe even more. Than the main event. That's just that's just how freaking good it is. Um, absolutely amazing. As we have ranked men's lightweights, one of the most exciting divisions in the UFC, as number 15 ranked Drew Dober takes on number 13 ranked Hinato Moyakano. Oh my goodness. Hinato Moyakano is 17, 5 and 1 professionally. Drew Dober 27 and 12 with one no contest. 5'11 to 5'8 gives Hinato 3 inches in height and 2 inches in reach, 72 to 70. Orthodox stands for Hinato uh, Southpaw for Drew Dober. Let's start off with Drew Dober. Oh my goodness, the 35 year old from Colorado has 11 knockouts and 9 subs of his 27 victories. Um, this is actually his 15th year of his professional career. He will compete in his 23rd UFC lightweight bout, tied for the six most appearances in divisional history. His 10 stoppage victories in UFC lightweight competition are actually tied for fourth most in divisional history. His nine knockout victories in UFC lightweight competition are most in divisional history. So how about that? Drew Dober is the lightweight knockout king. And by the way, since 2018, he has only gone the distance once, and that was in a fight in the night against Brad Riddell. And so, I mean, we even go back to that Brad Riddell fight in 2021. Uh, Drew Dober hasn't gone to a decision since June of 2021, which is absolutely insane. Drew, I mean, where do we where do we begin with him? Do we take it back to the beginning? He was in Strike Force. I mean, this guy has been fighting in the UFC for so long. Still looks amazing, by the way. An excellent genetics. Notable fighters he's fought. He's lost to Benil Dariush in 2019, beaten Alexander Hernandez in 2020. 
Lost to Islam Makachev in 2021. He's knocked out Terrence McKinney in round number one. That was a crazy fight. He's finished Rafael Alves. He's finished Bobby Green. Um, did get knocked up at Matt Frivola in May of last year, but followed that up with a uh, two-and-a-half knockout, minute knockout of Ricky Glenn in October. So Drew Dober, super legit knockout artist. Love watching him fight. His opponent in Nato Moicano, ranked number 13, the 34-year-old, was born in Brazil, but now lives and trains in Florida at American Top Team with a lot of other notable fighters. I mean, Dustin Poirier, for example. Um, of his 17 victories, 10 are actually by submission. Very, very cool there. Nato Moicano is 4-1 since he moved up to UFC lightweight division in March of 2020. He was originally fighting at featherweight. His average fight time of 4 minutes and 49 seconds in the lightweight division is the second shortest among active fighters behind Terrence McKinney. He's actually earned all six of his UFC stoppage victories by submission, as we mentioned with his 10 submission victories, and his six submission victories by rear naked chokehold in the UFC are third most tied in uh, company history behind Damian Maya and Kenny Florin. Huh. How about that? Oh, and since I'm looking through all my fun facts, Mark Madsen retired from uh, the UFC. I don't know if anyone cares about that or knows who he is, but... Yeah, a little fun fact for you. Monado um, Moicano, been in the UFC since 2014, was fighting at men's featherweight. And actually holds wins over Jeremy Stevens, Calvin Cater, Cub Swanson. I mean, very interesting stuff. He actually had main events um, against Chan Sung Jung, did lose in 58 seconds, but still. Uh, fought Jose Aldo, got finished in round two. Fought Brian Ortega, got submitted in round three. So he fought some killers. But yeah, moved up to the light, lightweight division in March. Submitted Demir Hadzovic in 44 seconds. There's actually a viral clip of him going, um, like, I wanted to keep fighting. And Demir Hadzovic goes, then why'd you submit me? Super funny. Uh, and to end out 2020, he was knocked out by Hafel Fazeev. Did follow that up with a uh, rear-naked chokehold of Jai Herbert and Alexander Hernandez, back-to-back round two rear-naked chokeholds. And then in March of 2022, he would unfortunately lose to Alfredo Sanjos in brutal fashion, but showed his grit and heart. And then in November of 2022, the last time he fought, submitted Brad Riddell in round number one. Been a minute since Anato Moicano fought, but I'm high on the guy. I like watching him fight. Give him to me by round two submission. I just think, you know, Drew hasn't really fought a grappler recently. Um, and how Mike Hano's a full-on grappler. So, Hanato just can't get caught on the chin or else Drew will win. This is the clashing of two styles, if you will. Let's get to the main event for this event as uh, number 11-ranked Nazardine Imbavov takes on number 8-ranked Roman Dolodice. Any nicknames for my boys? No, not at all. Maybe they'll get one after this event. Roman is 12-2. Nazardine is 12-4 with one no contest. So both men got 12 wins. 6'3 to 6'2, these boys are both over 6 foot, 1 inch height for Nazardine, uh, 1 inch reach for Roman, 76 75. Both fighters fight orthodox. Your number 8 middleweight, Roman Dolodize, uh, was born in Georgia, but now uh, lives and trains in Ukraine. He is 35 years old. 7 KOs and 3 subs make up his 12 victories, giving him a 10 of 12 finish rate. Pretty impressive. Been in the UFC since 2020, uh, where he debuted and knocked out Kadis Ibrahimov. Followed that up with another win. Lost his first professional bout to Trevin Giles in 2021. Followed that up with four straight victories, including round one knockouts of Kyle Dawkins and Phil Haas, and a big one on short notice, earning himself a performance bonus against Jack Hermanson in 2022, TKOing him. Uh, he had one fight in 2023, got outboxed by Marvin Vittori through three rounds to give him his second career defeat. But don't let that stop you from the power and grappling abilities of Roman Dolodize. 
His opponent, though, the number 11-ranked France boy, Nazardine Imovov. That is right, 27 years old. He's actually born in Dagestan, Russia, but now lives and trains in France at the MMA factory with other notable uh, MMA fighters from around the world. Of his 12 victories, 5 by knockout, 4 by submission. Nazardine, been in the UFC since 2020. Got a win in his first fight, then actually lost the majority of the decision to Phil Haas. We'll follow that up with round two TKOs of Ian Heinish and Emin Shabazian. Would then beat um, Joaquin Buckley in front of his uh, Paris crowd in September 2022. 2023 didn't go so well. Uh, was supposed to fight Calvin Gaslam to kick off 2023, but instead was given Sean Strickland, who outboxed him through five rounds. Then in June, was um, taking on Chris Curtis, was dominating him before a head clash led to a no contest. But Nazardine's back. I'm high on Nazardine's ability. He now has five-round experience. Roman's never had five-round experience. Give me Nazardine Imovov by unanimous decision. I like this kid. He's also 27. Roman's 35. I, I, I just like what Nazardine brings. I like his grappling. We'll see how his striking's improved. And but he was beating Chris Curtis as they were as they were fighting before it was tragically stopped. Unfortunate, but that's how it goes sometimes. That is how it goes. But yeah, it should be a fun card. Don't know what time it starts. Hopefully not too late in the day, but I guess we'll see how it all plays out. Alrighty, let's just run through all the picks real quick before I round up this episode. Thomas Peterson, my Minnesota boy, round two TKO. Marquel Medeiros, the Colorado native, by decision over Landon Kunis. Round one knockout for Luiana Carolina. Decision win for the Korean Tiger, Ji Young Lee. Uh, we're going to give Thema Karimbo the round three submission win over Pete Rodriguez. Odds out Max Soon by decision to move to 18-0. Molly McCann by decision over Diane Balbita, my most 50-50 fight of the evening. Gilbert Urbina over Charles Radke by a round one TKO. Alushka Bob Karizov submitting Mahmoud Murata from round two. Surprise, everyone. Natalie Silva by decision over Viviana Rujo to move to number seven in the division. Randy Brown using his eight-inch reach to beat a Muslim Sleekoff by decision. Hanada Moikana using his grappling to beat Drew, 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 Drew Dober. My gosh, Drew Dober. And um, uh, Nazanin Vaf to beat Roman Dolodize in a competitive and technical main event by unanimous decision. Should be interesting. Should be a bunch of good fights. I'm excited. I'm excited for it. I'll, uh, we'll be back Monday with a full breakdown of all the fights that happened. But as for now, everyone, enjoy your weekends. I am recording this Thursday. It is late, though, so I might wait till Friday morning to drop this. We'll see. I'll keep you all in touch, ladies and gentlemen. Make it an amazing weekend. Make it an amazing life. Uh, we'll be coming back with all new sorts of surprises and stuff. I'm cooking up so many different things for the future. We'll see how it all goes. But as for now... I'll catch you next time on the Surprise Jab Podcast.